see that Point Pleasant has always come home, and that is to say that all roads lead back to that center stone, that location, and behind the mind, the one that David Bowie sings of in Black Star. But enough of my drivel. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Intro, huh? All right. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Just make it up as we go along. There's a lot of cool things that have been going on in this episode. Uh, <laughs> of course, that uh, those of you who have experienced this show already will know from the first season. Uh, this is it gets amplified pretty darn well and gets real and all of that. The third season's really going to be something. So, uh, thank you, of course, to the new Kirks, Dana and Greg and Connor and Kyle and Rashid, as well as Tyler Strand. Thank you to all of those guys for putting together, uh, and thank you to Planet Weird as well uh, for making this great show. So yeah, uh, thanks are out of the way, but necessary, so necessary not sufficient. Uh, this is a part of the show where the executive donors, uh, executive producers, uh, those who have donated, executive producer level, that is the same as the value for value model standard, uh, $200 and above are the executive producers and executive associative executive producers for this episode. Uh, those who have uh, made between the 50 and the 200 amount will be mentioned in the mid-tro. And uh, thank you to those who have donated to this show. Uh, none to mention for this intro, this show. But if you do want to donate to the show, it's never too late. Any episode that you really like, you just note in the donation which episode you want it to go to. If you note that you want this to be towards the Six of Cups Hellier episode, then uh, Hellier 2 episode, you make that clear. Six of Cups episode 12. And I will be able to do that. Every show gets to level up. And that's a good time to bring us into talking about the Six of Swords, Six of Wands, Six of Cups, and Six of Discs value-for-value role-playing game. Starting now, it is $55.55 for a cumulative total donation. Once you get to that amount in donations, you'll be able to begin a character. And you will be able to launch your character into the value-for-value role-playing game. That will be once a month. You'll see the next value-for-value role-playing game example live this Sunday uh, as we do the Six of Wands. So tune in live for that to get an example of that. And in the meanwhiles, we are going to get back and into and onto our show. This is an episode where we break down Hellier 2 at the Six of Cups style pleasurably with... We have five guests this evening, including your true uh, blue lovely... Rosie host, uh, this is a cult fan, Nathan Lee Miller Foster, uh, yada yada yada, Nate Foster in some, but Nathan Lee Miller Foster, a cult fan, with Ren, but before that we would even say Zegor, but even after that we'd say Ebra, but before that we'd say Drake, and somewhere in the grand mixology of all of our potent alchemical cocktails of souls, we uh, jump, jive, and wail and make this real cool. So without further ado, into a conversation, a pleasurable roundtable about Hellier 2. Blast off. Hey, thank you and welcome back to the Six of Cups. This is episode 12. And this is a roundtable on something that it's easier just to talk about this and not consider what forces are at play. With that being said, we have... Patrick slash Zigor as our first named of our round of dilettante synchromisticos. And um, he is a Gnostic interested or minded scholar of sorts. Uh, he, yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? 
Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I've just been interested in, in weird shit for, uh, all my life. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, uh, sculptor by profession and, uh, yeah, just, uh, just a purveyor of weird shit. <laughs> Isn't it fitting though, that like the main bust of Hellier was originally a sculptor, a sculptor's project like that. But, um, yeah. Um, so let's go with, uh, let's see, I'm trying to do some kind of order here. Ren seems to be next on the list. Ren is a magician, a chaos magician or magician. I don't know. I'm going to let him describe it the way he wants. Ren, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> I would say I'm just a practical magician. Yeah. Um, a lot of my um, magical work focuses around uh, spirits, conjuration and communication. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's, um, also a member of the Ordo Simply Orientis uh, here at Lady and Laughter Lodge in Minneapolis. Thank you. That's so cool. Um, and there's no best, but he is last. And if, if I may be so humble in front of the, he might be the best. Alan Drake. Do you want to introduce? Uh, <laughs> far from it. Far from it. Fortune <laughs> uh, musician, uh, chaos magician. Uh, pretty much wraps it up. Short and sweet for everyone, and we may have or we may not. But he's he's getting a shout out. Uh, no matter what happens, our our friend Ebra may join us this evening, and uh, if he does, that would be great. Uh, we shall we shall sell seashells by the soldiering on into this episode now, and let's just do an icebreaker. I'm gonna just try to rip something out of the memory. Um, they had the live tin can thing, so let's start off with what our kind of recollections joining these past two seasons and i'm going to speak very little this evening if if we're all on par because i'm going to have it's going to go around and around and organically fill itself up but i'm going to start with zigor because that's the beginning of the alphabet zigor what do you make of the connections between like this weird recurrent almost kind of like i mean let's talk about that tin cup to start with why don't do you want to start with that and kind of we'll ease into this conversation yeah um so the you want me to kind of go over the uh the the scene of the the live uh, when they did the live show or whatever like kind of kind of how that went or just just talk about my theories on the tin cup and tin can yes okay <laughs> well yeah the the tin can thing i mean that yeah that's interesting cuz it's just like it's like a um a little little key to to unlocking yeah some sort of alternate reality or, or some you know something along those lines that it's like the most mundane <laughs> extremely mundane object to like to like hide something behind um yeah i mean admittedly you know similar similar to them in the show uh admittedly i was just like not not having the tin can thing i was just like okay whatever guys <laughs> but but then i think a lot of things in the show and including the tin can really didn't come to you know really didn't click together until like the last couple episodes so like just even just that illustration with the with the uh with the goblin holding the tin can right at the right at the end you know i think that was the very last thing they showed like that's what really brought that was the keystone that really brought it together for me, honestly. But. Well, well put because that was, um, that was like at the end of a film, you have the, uh, the kind of leftover 
film clips that the audience who stays after the credits gets to see. And it's him showing. And I'm glad you say it's the key to it all because I was waiting for Keel to come out. And that was, of course, John Keel's um, sub, what was it? Um, uh, subculture UFO pamphlet from 1994. So, um, yeah, um, let's keep this rocking along. Thank you. I'm, I'm not going to do too many formalities from here on out. I want to try to get a lot of weird mixed up in here tonight. So, Ren, um, will you take us a little further with any thoughts you have coming from this? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this on social media, but it makes total sense that it was a tin can that they found. Um, I, like, I'm not sure if the actual tin can itself has any meaning beyond the symbolism, but the really strong pan current uh, that is throughout the second season and seems to be permeating this case. Um, keep in mind that pan is uh, equated with Jupiter in a lot of um, sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I guess hermetic system. And, you know, of course, tin is the metal associated with Jupiter, according to Agrippa. So it just makes sense that it would be a tin can. Um, although my, my friend Rick Goldsmith on Twitter brought up the, the point that, you know, if it's a modern can, it's probably not much tin at all, if any, in it. Um, but I think the yeah. symbol is... It looks it pretty old. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone bring up the fact that can rhymes with pan? Yeah, tin pan, tin can. I, I don't know, just like came to me, and I'm like, wow, I'm feeling kind of silly that i didn't notice that till right now but that's how it happens it's well i happens. don't know if i i don't think i ever looked it up and on the uh the new and english kabbalah what 10 came out to i'm just um, if i may interject that with right the, now yeah that's a really strange timing because i just got off a phone uh phone i don't know something chat with austin Kopic where the largest of the conversation was about jupiter especially with the capricorn stuff going on so um, as a son of Jupiter, I'm like loving that you're saying this right now. This is crazy synchronicity <laughs> already off the bat. Well, 10 uh, equates to 61. Um, one interesting match in here is uh, find, which is what they did. They found the 10. And it also um, equals mask of and also equals, um, see, what was the other one in here? my hand yeah you know this with down in the conversation down the line we're going to start talking about the basic fundamental building building blocks of our reality and like if these numbers allow for certain things to manifest in particular form and that's be, we're going to get into that down the line but um yeah would you mind if we uh, pass it on to alan to keep this going ren is that all right yeah sure i just want to make one more quick note yes, please. I think it's also important, tin can itself equals 89. And this ties into part of what I was saying. Uh, one uh, also equals 89 is be folly. So you could say that the tin can is folly. That's why I was saying that the tin can is maybe a bit of a red herring or more of a signpost that it is anything that is truly important to the case. Signpost sounds really, I think you're on to the, but what do, I don't know. I have something you, weird on, on Wikipedia too. Um, when a when a bar of tin is bent, the so-called tin cry can be heard as a result of sliding tin crystals. Oh, you nailed it! <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. It makes me think of like UFOs being whirring, whirling plates of metal against one another. If there's something else going on there. Well, that and it, when it was missing was when they were getting the to the tones that they were supposed to be playing and stuff like that. 
Oh. And as you bring up UFOs, 10 can 89 also equals a circle. The 10 can's a vessel that cannot be closed once it's opened. Oh yeah, that's another another point. Yeah. Yeah. That's Pandora. good symbolism. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, did you guys know that now we need to, I need to mention this right here. Um, the original name for the Boston band and uh, Frank Black, when he was starting this band, said that he would either see Haley's Comet or start a rock and roll band. And since Haley's Comet was like in Australia, he started a rock band. The original name for Pixies, which is the Faye, of course, right? That he's named his band after the Faye. So you know what's going on there, I think, a little bit. He originally was going to name them. A panoply of pixies. <laughs> it's a pretty slick pun. What would you say? Uh, what, where do you want to take us next, Alan? Well, the pun thing is interesting, and it's uh, something that comes up in the show with tin cans and stuff, and uh, with the names, the whole uh, process of analyzing the cipher is working in puns it's a poetic form and uh like Green says in his book uh it's uh the cipher is embedded in the language yeah it's the green language almost but i um a little more have, organized what's that is that it was a little bit it's a little bit more organized but yeah along the same kind of lines no pun intended, since I just held up the English Kabbalah with the lines going through it. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding a Greenfield secret cipher of the Euphonauts right now. Wasn't it funny that they went out and talked to him in Al um, what, Alabama down there? Ah, yo, bro, check it out. <laughs> we both hold. Oh, no, my girlfriend has that one. I have that in this form. Anyways, <laughs> the, right. this is totally useless to the listener. So, anyways, the point <laughs> is, is that. They went down to interview Alan Greenfield, and um, maybe we could jump to Ren for a second. Uh, whatever he wants to go on this for a second, we'll we'll bring it back around. But um, yeah, it was. It's really weird how real into our own lives this has come, and I think that's part what we're going to need to get into tonight in a real nitty gritty, no BS and clear eyed way. And I think that it's just fascinating, you know. Jake and I, I love to give a shout out to Jake, who's done some of the Six of Cups. He's born March 22nd. I'm September 22nd. He and I interviewed Greenfield for like, I don't know, a few minutes. <laughs> I love him. He will be fun to talk to for whoever gets to talk to him. I would love to do a pilgrimage down there sometime, and Jake's in that area. So yada, yada. Ren, do you have anything you want to say on the fact that they talked to him and maybe some of his... um what you noticed with some of his reactions to their shots of the UFO? <laughs> experiment or even um what his opinions like when he says that's a cruel and unusual thing like maybe unpack some of that and circle back around to what i just asked about talking with him in the first place yeah i mean so obviously he seemed really disgusted by the experiment that they did with hypnosis and that guy um i kind of was too yeah. That is an incredibly unethical thing to do. I, I honestly don't care if that guy was a willing participant. Like what they they should have known better than to do something like that to him. Yeah, it's a violation of will. Yeah, it, it is, and exactly, exactly, and that's why, as Thelemite, um, like I'm not supposed to willingly ever let myself be hypnotized. Um, it, it's like basically one of the things that I'm I'm not supposed to ever let happen to me. And so I, I you know, regardless of whether or not Greenfield 
like his stops in the OTO, I still think that he's a Thelemite, um, even though he's, you know, you, you, but you don't have to be in the OTO to be a Thelemite. So, um, yeah, I his reaction to that was interesting. That. Sorry, I just, I understand what you mean by that. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one of the other things I thought was really interesting, like my views on, on him have changed a little bit. Um, you know, after Hellier season one, I was fairly convinced that he was pulling, he was sort of the main puppet master of this whole uh, ritual that's taking place. Um, I don't know if I think that anymore. I still think that he knows more than he let on. But what's also infuriated me about a lot of podcasts and stuff that Greenfield has been on is that no one really ever seems to ask him the right questions. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, nah, it's okay. It's okay. I just, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be uh, meeting him next week. So I'm going to ask him the questions that I want to ask him, like about his own magical practice. That's You're going to have to, within reason and yes, uh, yes. <laughs> privacy is first, not, not a mm -hmm. doubt about that, but uh, certainly uh, become stronger for the community, at least, if anything. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of things I want to ask because you know on the back of Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts, he mentioned like it said in his bio that he's a ceremonial magician. Yeah. But nobody ever really asked him like what what type of ceremonial magic does he do? What is his practice? Like what kind of magic does he work? Um, I guess we didn't think that was something that we felt comfortable asking during the interview at the time. We we, get, yeah. we got pretty far with some things. I I think we actually no no, no you you had a great interview with him. You, yours was yeah. I liked yours a lot better than than some other shows I listened yeah, to with him on. Because a lot of times one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. You guys at least asked him stuff that he doesn't. You know, some other shows I've heard him on, they just ask him the same things every single show, and you know, we'll see. But I I do think that he still knows a little more, or is more part of the narrative than I think he lets on or that they suspect. Uh, one really important note is you notice when he said something uh, will fall across your path or something will fall into your path. And then a tree fell into their path and attached to the tree was, uh, you know, a blue star balloon or the star sapphire. The so, serious star, the blue star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I made the point uh, several months ago that I thought that what was really going on was that Greenfield was attempting to become a magus uh, or attempting to basically speak his word um, before, you know, he passes away. And part of being a magus is being able to, you know, speak your will and your will be manifest. So him saying something's going to fall into your path and then something falls into their path, that's evidence to me that whatever is going on is working or that he has attained that. I mean, it certainly depends on what level of the will um, descending one is participant. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just think he's so like everything about the Hellier case, like people never really asked um, Greenfield much about Shaver. Cause I think a lot of people forget how old he is and how much, how involved he was with the early history. That's one of the country. things I meant to ask more about was the Darrow. Um, definitely. Yeah. Cause that goblin's a Darrow. I'm pretty freaking sure of it. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same. Like, all of the Hellier underground cave narrative stuff is definitely Shaver mystery stuff. And he knew Ray Palmer. He was friends with Richard Shaver. And I there was an old episode of the Paracast that I listened to with Greenfield where he actually mentioned, because uh, Shaver had all of these, it was like, they were called like rock crystals or rock discs or something. They were like these thin slices of rock that uh, Shaver said that the 
Tarot would use for data storage. They're basically like rock books or something he called them. And um, Greenfield supposedly has one of these that Shaver gave to him. Um, so I'm going to see if he'll, he'll show it to me, but it's something that I, you know, I never hear people ask him about. Next time I have him on Six of Cups, I will certainly have Jake and Thou on if you're interested into it. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the Hellier narrative that fits Thank into you. that pulp sci-fi shaver mystery 1940s Ray Palmer world that yes. makes me think like he's this is a narrative that that if anybody would be writing this uh you know from a astral perspective, it would probably be somebody like Alan H. Greenfield. I feel that. Um, certainly. And of course the secret history of Twin Peaks and Fate magazine and all of that gets Kishmoigle together. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Sigor, what was something markedly different that you noticed from the first five episodes since we're talking second season or whatever second series? What was the biggest change overall in the gestalt of the show that you feel that would be something that you find lends itself to why this seems more real or I don't know, maybe I'm baiting the question too much. I'm sorry, but what do you think? I, I, I see exactly what you, what you're saying. Um, yeah. The editing, man, it really, I, I really had a tough time with the editing in the first season, but, but they toned it down a lot in the, in the second season. Like I, I the editing is honestly the reason why I started, like I watched the first episode and I was like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I can't. I, cause it, it's weird to me. Cause it's the same with the, the Euphemet like podcast. Have you listened to that at all? Well, I was actually wondering really what the difference with the second season was specifically for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, um, it just seemed like they were doing a lot less of the music stingers. Oh yeah. The bass. I have a subwoofer and a surround sound system. I always, the surround sounds, I'm a son of a guy who worked at Bose for a lot. Anyways. So it's just a thing. And I have this noticing the second time I watch it, especially on Amazon, that they did it sound like they really revamped the sound from uh, YouTube because it's just like subwoofer blare after. It's just, ugh. Anyway, so you think that the editing was a big difference in the second? Yeah, just, just on a surface, just on a completely surface level kind of, kind of viewing. Like, yeah, it just the way they had, the way they would do the cuts and stuff like that in the first season just made it seem a lot more like they're really trying to make it seem more dramatic than it was. Yeah. And really try like it, it, it would, it almost pushed it to the point of like, of like, they were try, almost like they were trying to do a fictional show, but, but then in the second season, they kind of toned that down. So it, it's, it became much more believable, but yeah. So it's like, I think, I think anybody who was approaching it without any kind of, um, grounding or without any kind of context would have started that show up and would have thought that it was fiction like a almost like a ghost story kind of kind of situation oh, yeah. But, yeah, i think there were some people who actually had mentioned on twitter that they they couldn't tell if it was a mockumentary or if it was like real or whatever well there's um, a film yeah. oh, sorry there's a film called man bites dog and i won't tell you what that's all about but um the actors of September 22nd birth, but you should check it out. Like if you're interested in like things that straddle that line, a French murderer film. Oh my. Um, but Drake, I feel like I didn't want to like leave you out of the equation too long. And I feel bad that, um, I don't know. I don't feel bad about anything. I'm just saying like, we need more Drake. So let's get more Drake. Um, where do you think is like a really significant difference, bringing this more home to the magical community in the second season compared to the first? 
um, the uh, direct interactions with uh, other spirits. I don't know any other way to put it. Ultra terrestrial sees Greenfield's language. Um, the Michael communication especially was extremely striking. That was a huge step up in my opinion over everything else that had happened. He said that he felt like fighting Tyler Strand. He says, I feel like fighting now. And I thought that during the Michael scene, like there's so many layers of reality going on because we have to remember there are spirits and there are people's egos getting caught in the middle of these storms. And I think very, uh, we would be bereft as magicians and people who pay attention to body language and emotions. Whoa. That was one thing from that communication that really got to me was him talking about how he felt like something was coiling up his leg. And the first thought I had was serpent. And Michael and the dragon. Yes. Oh, is that Michael and the dragon, or is it also well, he George? Opposes, he, he opposes uh, Scorpio, uh, the Scorpio constellation. Oh. His star is Aldebaran and Taurus, and that okay. opposes Antares and Scorpio. Thank you. I'm learning now. Yeah. I. Oh, go ahead, Ron. I was going to notice, too. He also asked him like where he's from, and he says somewhere sunny. You know, Michael is the... <laughs> Archangel of the Sun, so Michael is the South, right? In most systems, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, at least so. in the LBRP. He's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uriel for the North, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll finish it. Raphael for the East, and um, yeah, because the South is supposed Raphael. to be like the hot wind, yes, you know, the fire, and and Michael is the Archangel of Fire, so that makes sense. But um, I think it's important to like double back around too to like as above, so below. Like, did anyone notice? Let's talk about. We'll go, we'll just do like a few sentences each to start off. Zigor through Ren through Alan. What did people think about? And I'm gonna preface uh, this. No, I'm not gonna say this for now. I'm, I'll come back to this. What did you guys make of the dynamic of the new team? Like Carl was more in the back. Rashad Sizemore was replaced by Carl in that way, and Tyler Strand replaced Carl. So, what do you think of the new team of Carl, Tyler, Connor, Dana, and Greg? Um, uh, Zigor, start for us. Um, the new team. I mean, I think that I think that uh, Strand. Do they keep calling him Strand, Tyler Strand? Yeah, I thought that was odd that they kept calling him by his last name. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think he was a good a good element. Like he he um, I think he was definitely the kind of <laughs> the fire under their feet that they that they needed. Um, there were a lot of times where I agreed with him with just like just screw it let's just let's go in deeper um but at the same time it's uh, it's also definitely good to have someone like like greg to be a little bit more cautious but but yeah i felt like maybe they were a little too cautious before and but he he was really you know a good driving force for him um as far as the new team that'd probably be my my thoughts on that but oh uh, thank you uh run carry us forward yeah, I mean, I, I love Tyler Strand. <laughs> he was definitely my favorite part about uh, season two. Um, I don't know. I, I got that same kind of energy uh, and wanting to kind of just rush headlong into stuff and being kind of punchy. And I, I really appreciated that because he's got, an, he's got an infectious enthusiasm that I really dig that I think was missing from the first season a little bit. Um, he really played well off everybody because – you need somebody who's more willing to get out there and then do it. Like there's the part where they're, um, 
they've rented that cabin and they're all sitting around and they say, they're like talking about like how they're like worried and like running into this cult or something. And then Tyler is just like, you know, I know exactly where that cave is and we're going in, you know, he's like really wants to catch a goblin. And it's just, I, I love that about him. Um, well, especially what made that great was that he was, he was thinking that, that he was, that Greg was mentioning the cave because they would be easy to get into. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was thinking it'd be easy for the goblins to come get them. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, Alan, what do you think? Uh, the same. I really enjoyed Tyler's presence, and I thought he bought a, uh, a necessary element of bravery, maybe even foolhardiness to the mix. Yeah. Uh, to sort of drag the team forward maybe when they were sort of wanting to dig in their heels a little bit. I enjoyed that aspect a lot. I, I, all three of you guys, um, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, I pay attention to a lot of things. Just it's my nature. Uh, Drake knows that I, I look for truth in people. It's kind of like my, my thing. And I won't have anything less, I suppose, is if I'm not speaking inaccurately, but I feel that about me. And so I watch people. I look at people. I, you know, it's a TV show. I can't help but watch people that they're on a TV show. And then there's subtextual layers to the psychology and the behaviors and the meanings behind these things. And I rewatched season one. And I just caught so many things that you watch when you're seeing it the third or fourth time through because now you're not blinded by the light, so to speak, I guess. And there's so many interesting things to pick apart in there. I'm not going to. These are good people. I'm not going to Hannibal Lecter the whole situation. But I will tell you one thing that I found very interesting and that I think I just have to point out that is going to make sense for a lot of where the Tyler Strand narrative came from in the first place. Because you could see that he actually put up in the second season with a lot of doubt, with a lot of condescension, and a lot of bullshit. It was in the context of how people treated him. It was in the way that he was, you know, his body language around people. And I was very proud to see that energy inside him just won't die. He's got something heroic in him. And I love his infectious energy. And I love how he rose above it all. And God bless everyone there. They're all dealing with heavy stuff. I mean, this is not wow. a criticism. Not a criticism. I'm simply observing the mechanics of the human waveform. And what happened was that at the end of the 4848 sync, and trust me, I just, I had to use a GPS right after I saw that in 48 minutes back, 48, yeah, anyways. So then he's at the end of the call, I didn't notice this the first few times. Dana says, Tyler Strand, everyone. Like you could see the, if you watch it again for the, just watch the behaviors. And then I think there was some kind of like bad blood from that. And I think that they reached, you know, some agreement was reached. And this is just what I noticed. And I'm putting the idea out there. Does this seem completely ludicrous to the three of you? Or does this seem to have merit? No more than a quick few like responses uh, would be necessary, I suppose. Um, Zigor again? Yeah, um, no, I, I think you're, I think you're onto something. Um, yeah, I kind of got that impression just, just from the quick little soundbite type of bio that, that Greg gave for Tyler in the first season. Um, I mean, when he, when he, when he brought it back up again in the second season, he tried to, you know, spin it a little bit more of a, in a positive light, but just the tone he had in his voice when he was saying in the first season was a little, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he was saying it in, I don't think he was intending it to be a criticism or anything like that, but it just, his tone was a little bit different in the first season versus it was a revealing tone if that's what you mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah um ren 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, I get what you're saying a little bit. Um, I haven't really speculated much about that, but I suppose I, I got the impression that, um, and this is psychoanalyzing someone I don't know at all, so I'm going to preface it that way, but I got the impression that maybe Dana um, thinks that, worries that Tyler may be getting Greg into dangerous situations or pushing him a little too far and too fast and she seems like a more cautious person and so there might be a little bit of tension there but I don't know like I said I don't really know these people so eh, you know that's just based on on what I saw in the show that's a fair it's a safe appraisal of course I'm just wondering like if you happen to like see any of the other subtexts in there because that itself drives the narrative knowing the emotional states which i mean mm -hmm. after such intense stress and agony of which they obviously go through i mean you can imagine mm -hmm. greg newkirk dana newkirk themselves not to mention connor carl and others like um they have to be careful and aware and that's why they had that entire and alan i'll run back to you in a second here they had the whole intro in the second series with the song which is basically a mm -hmm. banishing experiment right it was basically saying yeah. you know you can't talk to me i'm you know back to the phase you know all that kind of stuff very interesting i mean you really have to deconstruct these things uh if you're yeah, going I, to go there oh but do you yeah, want to think um, yeah so i think if anybody you're gonna like the stress and stuff that they were under i think the person that i thought was going to crack before any of them was was connor because he seems to be yeah. the one that's most affected by like what's going on um his body motions indicated he was under a lot of stress and he does yeah. have that catholic upbringing do you mind if we jump to alan first and come back around i just don't want to cut him yeah. out I, yeah, it's, go ahead. it's not you i just yeah mm -hmm. um ellen <clears throat> Back to the Tyler thing, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, there is a reality TV element to the show. So they're going to try to pump up any kind of team conflict or internal friction for viewer interest. Road rules. Yeah. I was wondering but, uh, about that too. That said, the kind of personality that Tyler has is all about friction. Oh, I suppose you're right because he needs that. Oh, that's you're being astrological in that too, aren't you? With the Mars and such. Not really astrological, but I guess maybe you know some of my more intuitive faculties might be coming into play here. But yeah, he's a fiery guy. He's into moving things forward, and 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 he's anti-stasis. You know, he doesn't want things to dig in and settle down and. He wants things to act, you know, keep happening, especially when things are going on. He wants to follow that. He gets on it. It seems like without Greg's foil, they really wouldn't work. So it's like Adam Curry and John Dvorak. It's like you need that kind of and that kind of. It's like the black and the white in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they it did do. look like he aged Connor like ten years. Oh my god! Was, and they've been, they were doing intense stuff too. We'll come back to Ren and Zigor in a second, but like. I mean, and, and I mean, everything I say here out of compassion, it's just like, I, this is a show where I have to discover the occult things. And this is just what it is. I really do support everything about this project and God bless them. May they be protected. And through all of this, that being said, Jesus, like the, like God, man, the God helmet too, that they were using and such to transmit through Connor. Like that was an end like, they seem like their chairs were bound together. Like you could see the coils going around them. Um, like a Tesla coil, but, um, 
Ren first before we go too far, and then I'm going to just do a new line of questioning. I feel like we were going to come back to something you were saying. Oh, I was just, nothing really. I was just going to mention that it felt to me like Connor was the one I was half expecting to sort of crack. And, you know, he definitely proved me wrong. He, he stuck through it. Um, but he really seemed like it was it was affecting him pretty strongly. And it, I get the impression that out of all of them, Connor is the most um, psychically sensitive and probably would be the most talented magician amongst them um, if he followed that path. But uh, you think so? You know, I, I think so. I think so. He seems like he has a really intuitive nature. He seems like a sensitive guy. Um, he seems, yeah, like, like he's born for this, but it's also, I think, really tough on him. It's also yeah. not the right way to go about getting your magic on for the first time if you're coming from a Catholic background or any background, really. I mean, that's, no. I mean, do you think so? Because this is kind of like no magic, all magic. Yeah. There's no short end of the pool to jump into. You know, I, I feel like um, everyone's got to burn their fingers to get started. Well, I do appreciate that. That's why they talked about the fear uh, at the end of the ritual there in the initiation. You need to get past the fear, but we're mm -hmm. getting ahead of ourselves. Um, all right. Well, thank you for that. Um, let's get back to something about the Indrid cold aspect of this case and how they visited a woman who's... Uh, said that the only way that they could get to it was through her. So they adroitly said, hey, how do we get in touch without you? And that was like, she didn't like that, obviously. But like, I'm just wondering what you guys make of the Inrid Cold aspect and like how this ties to like these half like real 40 and liminal creatures and beings that really exist in our world. And on the topic of Inrid Cold, as we go through this, have you had any of your own liminal men or women or whatever encounters uh zigor um hmm i mean i so I, I had a pretty i had a pretty significant uh synchronicity kind of kind of thing with the towards the end of the second season uh involving a, a lim liminal being I, I suppose um I don't know if it'd be the time to get in to get into that necessarily right now. It's not nothing to do with Ingrid Cold or or, or anything yeah, like no, that. It, it is the time, actually. I feel like it okay. is. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so the you know the the balloon the balloon thing where they were where they were finding the balloons and um, do you remember the name of the guy who found the one floated down to him in the park? I don't I don't remember. But anyways, so. Um, hmm. so the, uh, I, it would have been around, it would have been on my sixth or seventh birthday. Um, I woke up, I woke up in the middle of the night and, um, and, uh, saw this being in my room that was like a light being, but it didn't, it didn't glow. I mentioned this before, but, um, it didn't glow. It was just it was like a negative image of like a, of, I thought it was just a ghost when I was a kid, but, but, you know, but it definitely, when I described it to my friends, like a couple of days later, it definitely had a larger head and had the black eyes. Um, but it, it wasn't, yeah. So it wasn't glowing. It was just like a negative image of like a, a figure in my room. And the way I always describe it is it's like somebody took an eraser to the darkness in my room and just erased out the silhouette of this being. Anyways, so I know I, I had this rational thought 
And I know I was awake. I know I was awake enough to be actually experiencing something because I had a rational enough of a thought to look. I thought, okay, that's just the mylar balloon I got today because my because it was my birthday. So I turned. I turned and looked to my left where I I had left the balloon. It was on my my dresser next to my bed, and uh, it was the balloon was still on my dresser, and the being was still there on, to my right. And uh, normally in a, in a situation, whenever I got scared at night, I would immediately run to my parents' room or something like that. But that it was right at the end of my bed, so I couldn't. So I just bundled up underneath my covers and started praying. Anyways. So, and of course it was a Mylar balloon, but please continue. Yeah. So, so, um, the, I didn't, I didn't think about, think about that at all. Really. I have like, so I have that weird association with Mylar balloons, but I didn't really think about that at all when they were finding the balloons. But, um, then when they were showing the footage and talking about how the, the two balloons were found on the same day and they showed the footage of the, the one in the park, and they put the little date stamp on the bottom there. Um, it was February 5th, 2019. And my birthday is February 5th, 1985. <laughs> yeah. <Very good>. So, <laughs> so it, it definitely freaked me out. Like, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting the show to ever really, to ever really make any kind of, I mean, I was kind of expecting it towards the beginning. I was expecting to find some sort of personal connection, never really found anything. And I was starting to give up on that notion and then, and then that happened and it just, yeah, it just left, left me feeling like, just like I was spinning for like the rest of that episode and, and into the next one. But it's such a weird thing that you mentioned that creature too, again, I guess you'd have, but, um, I just yeah. watched an X-Files episode called hunger. I think or hungry. It's a third of the seventh season and, uh, swear to God, there's some weird, um, yeah, it sound it had the black eyes like you were talking about. It sounded like your monster in a way, but it also looks like James Keaton from Tool. And at the end, like as the monster dies, it sounds very much like the lesson uh, of the Tempest must be just that. And by the way, this creature lives at seven uh, apartment seven. Anyways, that hadn't come out, but uh, <laughs> it looked like the creature that you're talking about with the eyes and stuff like that. It's very cool that you say it was erased from space. Uh, that sounds like dimensions, like doing some kind of folding, or I don't. Yeah, it was it was the only way I could describe it to my to my to my friends when I was a kid. And of course, you know, they just thought I was just making it up and, and crazy or whatever. But but uh, yeah, I remember because I remember telling my my friends at like elementary school about it and stuff like that. But that's that's the only way I could come up with the way to well, describe. That's, it. that's really interesting, and it shows that as what we're about to get into as we go a little bit forward is how this show is actually getting into our real lives and. Um, we're not focusing just so much on the show itself uh, just because it is what they said it is. It's a symptom, I guess. Although it's kind of strange language that... Anyways, real-time thinking. Who wrote these lines? Ren, <laughs> what do you think about these liminal, um, injured, cold uh, beings that they're talking about in the show? And anything that you want to say either in-show about how some people have passed or the intrigue around that? Or preferably, probably, magically, your own experiences or a little bit of both? Mm. So I don't really know what I think about Tanya Derenberger. Um, I think it's important that people remember that Indrid Cold, Carl Ardo, uh, these characters who were interacted with by people in Point Pleasant and, and you know, during that, the Mothman flap, um, are very, very different uh, 
in the ways they interacted with Rudrow Derenberger and his family than the way he is depicted in current pop culture and in the way he is depicted in The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Uh, in a lot of ways, and they mentioned this on the show, I was, I was very glad that they brought this up, um, that the Indrid that Tanya knew, and I don't doubt that she knew somebody like that or, or had the encounters with, with uh, these entities, um, they're different than what is described by, say, Terry Rist in, in The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. They're different entities. I don't know what's different about them. You know, I, I think that in some cases, spirits can have multiple faces uh, and reflections of themselves. Um, and maybe that's what's going on here. Um, that's a good thought. That's, yeah, that's a good thought. I was glad that they went out and interviewed her. You know, honestly, that they didn't just write that whole thing off as a joke. I know better uh, than because I feel like a lot of people yeah. did. No, I know better. I was thinking as well. I, I try not to think what people are speaking. I really am getting better at this, but I know better than to write her off. I know better than that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, she is the last link to that, that narrative. 1966, uh, that was, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, wear a, I wear a meteorite from space with uh, a shilling <laughs> that has 1966 on the back. Nice. Of course, uh, it's bound with silver, and it's uh, made by my girlfriend, Rhonda Blanc, not a commercial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually is like kind of like the, like the Beatles invasion, like the whole like Grant Morrison UFO thing. I don't know. My mm -hmm. brain's just – come back. Okay, I'm back. All right. So um, do you want to talk a little bit more? Thank you for addressing her because I do think – especially you were very humanistic and fair in – what you just said and i think that's the most important part um people can make up their own minds after watching the show but don't think that you know her situation until you've been her i suppose i guess i want to say and i say that about you know mm -hmm. every my zero zero libra okay before we move to drake maybe a little bit about your own cryptid or indrid cold or maybe real people you were just like no that was not a real people I don't know. I don't think I've ever actually encountered um, anything in the real. Like I said, like I've said on some other shows, I've I've encountered some things in waking life, um, but it was never anything that I had a lot of communication with. Uh, not to the degree of like a contactee or like a, I've never had like a real man in black encounter that I can remember. So that that's something that that would be awesome, but I just don't think it's something that has been in the cards for me. So no, like yet, at least. Here's to hoping. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, I mean, like, if shit, dude, there's some weird stuff out there. We have the Bridgewater Triangle up in Massachusetts and Minnesota. I'm sure you guys have a triangle somewhere up there. Yeah, I mean, there's the the Stillwater stuff that's going on. And as I, I mentioned to you over text the other day, um, there's this private investigator who has been um, I've been talking to in Minnesota about. Can we could we jump back to that, please? Just to yeah. Get, yeah. It's not, again, it's just... Yeah, uh, definitely. We can come back in, to it. It's fine. And the other thing, too, uh, Minnesota, I noticed how one of the towns... Um, mm -hmm. Drake, we're getting there, bud. Um, <laughs> it's, I call him the best. He's the best for being patient, for sure. Um, what happened was they changed... I, you know how they said that they changed some of the names to protect the identity of the places? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but like... Long Prairie, I didn't even look up to see if that exists, but I know Eden Prairie does. Yeah, yeah, there's an Eden Prairie uh, south Which of here. I lived, yeah, I lived in Eden Prairie on Nottingham. Oh, Prairie. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like next to Edana. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we're by Edana. Yes. 
Um, yep. And oh my God, Valley Forge, dude. Okay, enough. So, <laughs> Minnesota, dude, I, I mean, like, I went to summer camp and, like, okay, anywho, yeah, dude. I think I got into magic in Minnesota, actually, the, the card game. Anyways, yeah. there's a reason why they uh, call it Paganistan. What is it? <laughs> it's known as Paganistan locally, just because of the number of like neo pagan communities and oh. magicians and stuff in the area. It's a high concentration for for such a small I town. I understand it. Um, no, you know what though? I also just in the the key to it all keeps getting said in Hellier, and of course, I just ordered a book and have all these synchronicities with this book called The Key of It All or The Key to It All. In that book. Mm-hmm. We ordered it. Uh, we were going to get it at the Fox. Oh, God, I hope Rose and Paul don't hear this. We were going to get it at the Enchanted Fox, but we got it online for cheaper. Ours came with a magic card from Unglued series. It was sex appeal. <laughs> anyway, keep you at all, people. I just told you. Send your donations to the Six of Cups. That's a cult fan at PayPal.com. Anyways, a cult fan at Gmail. PayPal.com. Do it right. So anyways, the point is, is that... Um, Drake is going to take us home on this one with the cryptids and such. But before we go forward, um, I want to make sure that everyone at home realizes that, like, this is for you to take or leave. But, like, go out and try to find it yourself. Drake, take us home. Were we at again uh, personal experiences of cryptids and such? First, your impression of, like, the injured coal material in the show. And then, yes. Well, Injured Cold, yeah, that's a name that I'm familiar with for a long time, although I've never done a deep dive into the story. Um, it's, uh, you know, when I was a kid, they uh, filmed uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind here in the area where I live. Nice. And so that kind of just rooted UFOs in my mind from a young age. And I was always interested in UFO culture. And I always thought it was cool how Andrew Cole came down in this basically like this anti-gravity jet in his first appearance. And that was his introduction. And as time has moved on, his means of conveyance and the way he interacts with the world has changed, like grown or evolved, uh, is maybe one way to look at it. And uh, another thing, uh, look at what Ren was talking about from perhaps a slightly different angle is names can be offices too and we may be talking about more than one being here yes that's an excellent point um well take us to your experience of any sort that you wish to just whatever you want if you want that's an excellent point a lot of weird experiences when i was a kid and uh like I never really gave them much credence for a long time, uh, you know, childhood memory and all that. Uh, about a year ago, before my stepfather passed away, we had a conversation where he said that one time I disappeared off into this woodline uh, next to the property where we lived. And so he went off into the woods looking for me. And eventually he found me in a small little clearing in the woods and I had arranged sticks and stones and objects around me. And I was having a conversation with somebody. And I don't remember this, but uh, that was one of the last things my stepfather told me before he passed away. And he was not messing around with you. That was like <laughs> one of those like- light- He was a lean Marine, no bullshit. <laughs> so that's definitely, wow, that's powerful. How did you receive that news? 
uh, stunned pretty much. It was a validation of a lot of the weirder childhood memories I had where uh, I felt like maybe uh, not quite as weird or out there as I think I am. And maybe some of those stranger experiences from childhood do have a basis in reality and not just an overactive imagination. I think that amongst all four of us here and hopefully in ever soon, but just another shout out because why not? <laughs> um, I think that all of us have like that kind of like kindred calling to this. And I think that it's special that we can do that without prejudicing against it or battering it into some kind of either fear or mm -hmm. a superstition or even a manipulation, even worse, I think. So I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I guess the most important thing is for us to not just like sit on, sit on our laurels that we can understand and appreciate this, but like as active conscious creators, whatever, you know, you don't have to say magician or whatever. It's up to us to learn how to commerce with these and improve the place around us. And what is improvement besides the nebulousness reduced down to the three Buddhist treasures, simplicity, patience, and compassion. Mm -hmm. A state of openness. Vulnerability, for sure. Um, I don't know. Guarded, I, cautious, you know, be careful out there. Well, there's the pillar of strength and the pillar of mercy. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, you have one hand for the sword, one hand for the shield. I give no shit. I take no shit. Absolutely. But I give a fuck. <laughs> All right. Right. I now I have to click the explicit box on this, but uh, in the meanwhile, it's a me back to the show. So I guess I want to bring that in. Then we were starting to get into something just a second ago that was it slips the mind. There was a really good uh, ultra terrestrial kind of bringing it down into the okay, let's see if I can pull this out of the ether. Well, in the meanwhile, I can ask a, a made-up question and uh, buy myself some time because it's professional to tell the audience you're doing that while you're doing it, or at least meta. So I guess, like, for the meanwhile, back to the tin can that we began with, that is a shape-shifting entity of itself that's like Indrid Cold, which is completely like that 112 ink and black Capricorn, by the way, as that's January 12th. And so, I mean, like, are there any kinds of secrets we could find astrologically through this while we look at these codes, while we look at the, you know, the wheelhouse and how that meme keeps popping up and stuff like that? So, Zigor, and then down the line as we go, or around this wheel, spiral upwards. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was really, really interesting to me, the, the idea of a, of a tin can being a, a chimera, <laughs> as they were putting it. Um, yeah, really interesting concept to me, but yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know, I don't know if I really would have any, any insights. Beyond it was that. something you just said that jogged it in my head, but I feel ridiculous for not noticing this, especially, you know, looking, I mean, honestly, just been fantastic in this silver suit with his black tuxedo lining here. I'm telling you though, the Tin Man, Oz. Yeah, I was about to. I was just thinking that too. Bieber Oz. Yeah. Ren, do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you mind if we move to Ren? Then is that all right? Like, I appreciate. This is what, 
I yeah. want to say real quick that the oh, author yes, of the Oz series was a, a member of the Theosophical Society. The author of the – oh, L. Frank Baum. Yes. I believe that's actually – I've heard that, and I have not – I've heard some controversy over that point. Really? I have, oh, and I've heard just like it. Dr. Seuss was a theosophist recently. Are these both true? Because, I, I mean, I'll – I don't know about Dr. Seuss. He was Theodore Geisel, and he had to change his name to write in the school something or other officially as Dr. Seuss after he got caught drinking gin. Um, that's Dr. Seuss for you, though. One gin, two gin, three gin, okay. Now I'm seeing things. Let's write books about it. So back to Ren. Ren, what mm -hmm. do you – all right. Uh, do you remember the question? Mm -hmm. All right. Good. Something about, like, the tin can being a shape-shifting entity. No, tin can, tin man, Oz, Libra Oz. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Um, that's a fun little sink. I don't know if I'd have a whole lot to add to that, but I, that is a fun little little tidbit there. I mean, the the Lenic current. Okay, my my overarching idea about what's going on in the Hellier narrative is that it is the the Thelemic current attempting to reassert itself after being left hanging, um, basically since its inception. Um, you know, Crowley according to Kenneth Grant and, and other people kind of failed to really initiate and, and the, the Aeon of Horus and any possible successors in the form of uh, Parsons, you know, he died. It's a, it's a current that has been left uh, without a direction. And I, I guess I'll, I'll be careful about what I say about this, but I don't, I'm sort of in the same boat with Greenfield uh, in regards to the OTO, um, I don't necessarily think that they're doing all that they can to, you know, push forward the current of Philema uh, and, and push forward the Anaphorus. And the Aeon of Osiris is still just like death grip hanging on to the current world. And I, I feel like Hellier is perhaps just the current itself attempting to manifest again. Um, but I've also got some problems with that in the sense that um, I don't want there to be another prophet of the current. You know, there doesn't need to be a prince. There doesn't need to be another great beast. Um, the law is for everyone and the current is for everyone. And I, if, if that is what's going on and the current is reasserting itself, I want it to be something that everyone is equally a part of. I believe that's what's happening right now. I think that all four of us, agree, I mean, including you, all four of us agree on that. Um, yeah. well, I, mean, I think that's why you see 93 all over it, you know. What is that? That's why you see 93 all oh, over yeah. it, everywhere. Oh, yeah. In the We're name of the town. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're going to trip when we get down this rabbit hole a little bit further. I'm gonna, <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't even, dude, um, something's going to be done. Something's happening tonight. Like, this is, this is happening. All right, Drake. You, sir, are up. Astrologically speaking and so forth, is that what we're talking about? At this point, God bless us. I don't even know. No, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. we were, Things have been sputtered out quite a bit. Well, um, you know what? Due to the nature, I I we're all holding on pretty well. Go ahead. I haven't been able to apply any astrology to it. And like, uh, um, I'm still basically a novice in many ways. There's like aspects of mundane astrology and stuff that I don't understand. So... There's areas of this that are a mystery to me. And uh, I think uh, what is 
probably something that the thing that's been tripping me out, the thing that's been with me is this whole Southeastern Appalachian history thing, um, which my family has been a part of this for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's all kind of in my backyard and through stomping grounds I've run across. Um, it's yeah, it's really interesting how, you know, some of these stories keep coming up. We have here where I grew up, we have local legends of little men that come out of the woods and abduct children and take them off into the woods. And the ones that make it back are shaman. And it's just, yeah. If we do this right tonight, we do have quite a few things to cover, including the abductions of the little green men. Uh, we do need to cover quite a few things. It's all right. Um, yeah. That's one thing I wanted to add to what Drake said. Um, I think that um, it's important for if people who are not from Appalachia uh, don't really get this, but there isn't anything particularly strange about Hellier itself, the town, right? Every town, every little town in Appalachia is weird, okay? They all have stories about goblins and ghosts and weird things in the woods. I had the same stories where I grew up in Anniston. Uh, Coldwater Mountain was supposed to be haunted and there were supposed to be creatures on that. It's, you know, it, that's just Appalachia. And that's one thing I really enjoy about the series is that, that Appalachia weirdness. Hashtag that's just Appalachia. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a small, it was, it was a pretty small connection thought that I had while watching the, the second season. It's, um, you know, uh, the Evil Dead movies, uh, Sam yeah. Raimi films. So those, he filmed those in a cab, or the first one, filmed that one in a cabin. That and it looked like to me, it was just like maybe two hours southwest of Somerset. Yeah. Um, the cabin that they filmed in. Dude, and, yeah, you know, all that, these... yeah, that whole movie was about, you know, dealing with nature spirits and, you know, that basically Pan himself coming after them trickster deities and all that yeah that's a really cool um lateral connect i like that it's weird but i like it yeah <laughs> just in the whole few you know undead flesh-eating kind of way not not personal weird it's just and it includes that lovecraftian element which i think yeah. if they keep going down the rabbit hole they're currently going down um with the serious stuff it's going to inevitably loop back around to michael Burdio and kenneth grant and the lovecraft current this as well. is this has been on my mind the past few days and it's like i can't get it out of my mind and if you can't get it out of your mind and it's lovecraft you probably have lovecraft did i just say that or did someone else anyway so the point is is that let's bring it back i'm almost getting back you know what we're gonna jump around back to the more serious stuff later with the awful cave death maybe child trafficking awful stuff weirdness like a vault anyways um let's start with some lighter fare some aperitifs in the middle of this banquet because that's what we do at the mad tea party i want you guys to talk a little bit about the naeq and i know it's ren's um we have to say thank you to ren um, you don't have to say it like when it, your turn comes or anything. That would be like weird. But like you could totally like just know that everyone who's listening, he did the yeoman's work on this computer program. And I mean like it's not like he split boulders open, but metaphorically for you, he may have. So feel yeah. free. I think I, I want to make sure that that uh, my 
my comrade Alan gets yes. a, most of the credit for that. Like the NEQ website and software and stuff would not be there if uh, Alan hadn't helped me out. Thank you, because so, I knew you had a partner in that, and I yeah, definitely, Alan, yeah. A lot of they're not as you know they're not as much on like social media and stuff as I am. They have a much you know kind of like they're more guarded in terms of their presence and stuff, um, but definitely like they were it, it was more them on the programming side than than me like i had kind of the idea but they were the one that was really able to to actualize it and make it a reality but you really did uh you you the two of you when i say you mm -hmm. i'm just gonna mean the you you the two of you yeah um sure. because oiga vault um so before we come back around to ren slash Alan from here on out, but well, for the purposes of the NAEQ.io, it's like, and by the way, for the listener, it's a tool that you can use to put in different uh, English, ostensibly English characters that will then translate them according to the codes that are through the new A on English Kabbalah, which is basically uh, something that has everything to do with the 93 current. It's uh, the code of 93 in a way. I don't know. But Ren will correct uh, correct me later, but first, Zigor, have you had any? In hey, man, I'm learning all the time. I I'm nothing without humility. Fuck that shit. So, anyways, pardon me. I really do need to get my language clean, though. Anyways, personal thing, Zigor. Um, what do you think about the NAEQ? Have you used it? And if not, that's okay. You can tell us a little bit about your familiarity with codes and ciphers and different things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I've been, I've been playing around with it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I definitely do not know much about codes or ciphers. I think that that is a, I, I don't know if my brain is capable of, <laughs> of, of that kind of stuff at the moment. Um, but, um, maybe I think yeah, I definitely been, I definitely been plugging things into it. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I've just been trying, trying different things, trying to, trying to look for connections. I haven't really found much. Uh, my name, like like what you did, uh, my full name is is interesting. Uh, it will be. Yeah, <laughs> it was like two eighty six, I think, is the numeric number for it. Um, and it was, I think there was something like uh, I'll have to I'll have to type it back. One hundred and seventeen. Was that one hundred and seventeen results returned? Oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> um. Ankov Kansu the priest was your first response. Uh, let's see. All right. Well, um, that's interesting. This night's getting it's real time interesting as it should be. Drake, I see you back there, and Ren, we're coming around. Um, I'm trying to say that Zigor may have the same that I have, which would only make. Well, we'll see. I'm not going to. It would make some kind of sense to me, but maybe it's not. Let's see. Well, in the meanwhile, no dead air for this. Um, Drake, uh, we're going to come back to Ren because this is kind of like we're going to let him expound a bit uh, before we carry forward with the story of Hellier and what this means for us in the magical community and Reelsies. Hashtag Reelsies. No, please don't hashtag Reelsies. Um, <laughs> hashtag please don't hashtag. Oh, God. It's a drost effect, people. That's how black holes happen. Don't step near that. Okay, Drake, what do you think about the NAEQ? Uh, I've been fascinated by Liberal for a very long time, and uh, I'm thrilled to have a cipher to apply to it and play with. And uh, 
I haven't had anything really stunning connected to Hellier come up yet. Um, I've been looking at other aspects, to be honest. Uh, but the cipher is absolutely fascinating, and I play with it all the time. Why do you think it's so fascinating? What, what personally, as my right ear begins to ring, what do you find so gripping and fascinating about it? The implication that there is an underlying code or, or like, uh, I'm use a term Ebra has been throwing around since he's not here. It's like a fifth dimensional communication. Um, using puns and mathematical puns. Um, puns are like puns are like oily language. They can squeak through. There, there's a uh, poetic madness to them that that delivers truth. You know, uh, it's not for every pun, but when the uh, when the, the enthusiasm is there, yeah, you can get some real interesting interactions out of that kind of language i want to add to your point about the enthusiasm as well uh during the austin Copic talk earlier i <laughs> excuse me how about that so during the austin Copic talk earlier something came up to the effect of intention in language and basically this is the sword in the stone, which is take the S's off. You get this, the word in the tone and it's not what you said. It's how you said it. And how is linked to intention. That's the great the metaphysical vision and how. The voice. Say again. The vision and the voice. Uh-huh. We've had this, we've had this interplay before. <laughs> we've danced this dance before. <laughs> um, <laughs> you'll lead next time. So, um, in the meanwhile, as I come back around, um, we're going to shift forward. I'm going to say, uh, Zigor, did you figure out your, um, did you figure out your name? Yeah, I did. Um, am I, um, yeah, yeah, I figured it out. Um, I guess I was, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I guess I was thinking of yours. Um, <laughs> well, I was like, that would, that would make sense if someone else had the same as mine at the same night. That was what my thought was. <laughs> But if it was me who had it, now there's a twin. Pe oh God! Oh, yeah. let's yeah. not say that. So, yeah. So mine is two thirty-two with uh, one hundred and twenty-five matches. There you go. I think my favorite my favorite matching phrase is uh, "Thou likest it not." <laughs> <laughs> the Zigor doth protest too much. Yeah. Um, I gotta say that I found out we're about to. Okay, you know what? I'll save this for after. Ren, you're going to like this. Um, in fact, let's see here. Yeah, all right. Um, da -da -da -da. Brain still working, Nate? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, ready? Yes, show continues. Ren, say words and yes. stuff. Do pretty yeah. things with your voice. Hey, what's up? Yo, pictures in two with the words in the minds. Let's do some, <laughs> some concepts built out of um, vibrational tones. What is your uh, thoughts based on the NAEQ? I don't know if you've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's first time encountering it. <laughs> well. I, I guess um, to, to kind of back up a little bit and explain um, what it is, uh, the idea, and, and you can read about this in Secret Software, The UFOnauts. Um, please support Alan's work, buy that, that book. Um, but the basic idea is that holy texts, specifically like cha channeled, that's the word I was trying to say, channeled holy texts. Um, they communicate additional information via cipher that is baked into it. Um, 
this is the basis for say like um like Kabbalah, you know, and and Gematria, right? You can apply this basically cipher to words from the Bible and make associations and connections between things um, based on that. And but the thing is, is that the the Hebrew Kabbalah applies specifically to the Hebrew language and alphabet and stuff. It doesn't really work for English, although people have tried to do that. So there needed to be an English Kabbalah. And it was Greenfield's idea that that Liberal was communicated by these ultra-terrestrials to Crowley, you know, through this entity, Iwas, and that within it, and I mean, there's, there's things in Liberal that say there's a cipher built into it. It's quite clear that, there, that Crowley is saying, there is a cipher here that I don't even realize I can't figure out on my own. And a group of researchers back in the 70s, including like Jake Stratton Kent, um, deciphered a large, or basically figured out the ALW cipher. Now, to be clear, this is something that you'll find out if you read Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Um, there's actually something like 20,000 valid ciphers from the Book of the Law. Okay, like the ALW cipher is the one that makes the most sense. And it, it's the one that fits the best. And it's the one I use in the tool that's on the website and stuff. Uh, because if we were trying to use 20,000 different ciphers, we would be going down <laughs> a rabbit hole we would never get out of. So It wouldn't be practical. Mm -hmm. So Greenfield, to cut this short a little bit, Greenfield's basic idea was that you can use this by translating words into numbers using this cipher method. And he had the idea of plugging in these funny names that the contactee entities would use, say like the name Furcon or Ashtar or um, or Reigns. Yeah. And what's amazing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so what's amazing is that when you look at these, you look at the other words from Liberal that that number matches and you start realizing that there's like interesting connections there. Um, It's a little hard to understand like how to use it. If you're just getting into it, I think actually I was I was really glad in the uh, in the second season of Hellier they showed a great example of using it to sort of figure out information about an area geographically. Like when they were using it, they were saying, "Okay, well here's the wa-. they're looking for the wagon wheel restaurant, and they find that there's an NAEQ value that that is like the wheel, and they were able to match other elements of the landscape uh, to results that were coming out. Yeah. Um, a thing that I should probably include in the help file for this thing to let people know is that, especially the, if they read Secret Cipher, they'll understand this a little better. I'm rereading it now, so I'm realizing a lot of things I could do differently. Um, a lot of times Greenfield will actually do the Kabbalah Gematria thing and like add numbers together. So if something equals 56, he will add five plus six equals 11. Yeah. Right. And he goes to this whole list of all the names that end up equaling 11. Um, and so that's something that people can play around with uh, when they're using the tool. Um, like to give an example of recently I've been doing this, you know, I've been looking at Stillwater uh, as a possible area for something going on. Um, I was looking at the name Stillwater in the, in the NEQ. I was finding things like uh, lust and power. And I realized that, there is a power plant on one side of the river and a strip club on the other because it's Wisconsin and that's allowed there. <laughs> so like, so it's like, it's confirmation that like, okay, there's something going on here. And in Greenfield believes that 
if you're able to utilize this tool to its extent, you can literally just find the houses of ultra terrestrials. You know, you can walk right up to their door and knock on it, you know? It's like an address book. Yeah, it's it's literally the way they, he says it's like the way they communicate with each other and the way they can communicate with the illuminated, like basically the people in the world who understand the cipher. Because he believes that before, even before the discovery of the cipher in 1970, it was being used by people before then. Like he believes that Helena Blavatsky was aware of it and was utilizing it in the way she would uh, change the names of these, some of the ascended masters. Uh, he believes that Ray Palmer, um, because Ray Palmer always said that he had a secret fact that told him the truth of UFO cases and fact equals like 11 in the cipher. So it's like there, he believes that there are people that have been aware of it for a long time, but he brings up an interesting element to the cipher that I don't know how to square the circle on. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, we don't have any more furcons or, you know, our reigns, you know, there are no more Truman bathrooms. Uh, all of the alien encounters in the last, I don't know, 30 years, they don't involve names anymore. The ultraterrestrials aren't telling us their names. They're not giving us channeled messages anymore, um, which is one of the reasons my own magical practice is so focused around spirit contact, because I feel like we're going to have to get that contact back. You know, something about the, phen about the phenomena changed, you know, in the 1980s and I don't know if the, the Whitley Strieber era was what brought that on, but it's so different from the way it was in the sixties and, and even in back in the forties. Um, so the cipher works really well for that stuff, but it doesn't really work if they don't tell you anything. If you don't know the, the entity's names, you know, that would be a different kettle of fish altogether, I suppose. Mm -hmm. That does bring us around again, though, to the different forms of entities and different forms of entity contact and like the Valian or the John Keel talking about how things can even show up as tin cans. But I want to mention something interesting about your and Alan's NAEQ project. I ran my name through this. All right. And I ran my girlfriend's name through this. And we have the same exact number. Her name and my name. It's just astounding. And furthermore, this is the thing that gets weird tonight. Or it just keeps being weird. But when the going gets weird, I'll tell you the story to make sure it does. When you look at my name, you get that Al-Ankansu the Priest. And I want to make sure that, Ren, I'm getting this right. As you know more about Crowley than I'm sure, well, correct me on this one, but when they showed the 777, I think it was, does it say written through Al Ankonsu, the priest at the bottom of that? Can't hear you. I think it's on the mutes. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's the name that Crowley used for himself. Um, Whoa. Ankoff Nakansu. Um, nice. That was sort of like his, he believed that he was a reincarnation okay, well, you're of gonna, this Egyptian priest. You're going to hear me repeat your stuff again right there. No mm -hmm. pun intended to the meta joke of reincarnation. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you've already made this joke before. I'm not saying that I'm a reincarnation of anyone but Nathan Lee Miller Foster. I'm me, right? Mm -hmm. 
this is me. Hi, look, I can woo stuff, voice, things, podcast, occult fan at Gmail at PayPal, stuff like that. So what you do, no, really do it. It's a good product. So what you do is you go out there and after you do that, you're going to see that like this whole thing with the occult fan, with the Solomon's ring and that story that I've told enough times that I don't even want to hear it again. But basically it's like, it says the great B 666. And I'm not saying I, this is not a philosophical purvey of anything. I'm just following patterns. And my whole life seems to be pointed around this strange, like, you know, esoteric imparting of initiation through this pattern repeating through a cult fan through the final fantasy eight and the 666 with the solomon's ring and how all of the intergenerational stuff happening that causes that in that story and then to add this in the same screenshot in this extremely synchronistic whatever this is film tv movie i don't know documentary um basically we're talking about this moment of clarity and I don't know if it's an influence or if it's a remembrance, if it's amnesis, or if it's just completely the imagination. I'm willing to not put my, I don't know. But it's just there was a shocking recognition of how I just looked up my name on the NAQ. The first name that comes up is the one that I can't even pronounce because, you know, I must be in reincarnation if I can't pronounce the name. <laughs> anyway. Here, I'll, talk, I'll walk you through it. So it's Ankh, Af, Af, Na, Na, Kansu, Kansu, Ankh, Af, Na, Kansu. There you go. You got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're like, do I get like some sippy cup shit now? No, I'm just fucking. Yeah, up. you get a little gold star. Uh, yay, gold star for Robot Boy. I got to court guided <laughs> by voices. That was awesome. Moving forward. <laughs> if you can't here, there's no hope for humanity or any other manities or humes or anything anywhere for that matter. Or, or plant people. They're screwed too for some reason now. So anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, the, you could think about it in the sense. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you are the reincarnation of Aleister Crowley. Yes, I have no idea. Yeah. No. No. I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's possible too that it's a, that equaling your name or, or being related to your name is some sort of signpost for you in your path in life or what your 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 fate is you know it, not necessarily that you're the same person but maybe you have uh, a similar path to follow <laughs> zigor speaketh hey sorry <laughs> i was trying to unmute myself i um, saw it i was i was yeah. <laughs> um, so, num. So, what what number was that on on your your list? Was that the first result for your name? Okay. The third result for mine is mine. O onk off na kansu now. I guess we're buddies. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> of course, I also have I peck at the hawk's head. Well, don't so, do that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or do don't let me tell you what to do i'm just saying might have like scabies or something anyways i i had a um i had a question i guess it, it might be kind of a a little a little too overarching but so they kept in the second season they kept mentioning that magicians that had contacted them 
um, told them that they were doing an initiation. And I have an idea what, what that means, but I'd be curious as to what, what other people think, <laughs> like what, what were people telling them that, you know, what, how did, I guess, how were magicians seeing the first season as an initiation? I'm super glad you brought that up because I almost let it slip the mind to bring up Jeff Ritzman, Reisman, someone get that name right for us. He was the one who had the genius. That was one of the most genius moments in the whole series when they got that, when they had that expose of talking about how, you know, you're part of the, it was when Greg said, enjoy being insane to Carl or to uh, whoever, Connor, maybe. And he was basically him expressing how the warp and woof, so to speak, of the geometry manipulation of the mind flow goes. Like he, I was like, that was brilliant. He's like, you have their attention. You're in the intention. You're doing. He was like, almost like, oh, it was just beautiful. I don't know. It was, anyway. So if Drake, I'm sure you remember his name. No, Ren. Do you have any idea? Jeff Ritzman. Ritzman. I was close. Yep. I think I even said it at one point. It's like Rinsman. It's like R I N T Z, M A N N. Awesome possum. I think it's important. Yeah, Jeff's. Jeff is really awesome. If people aren't familiar with uh, Jeff Ritzman's work, they should really look up. Um, oh crap! What was the name of that podcast that he did uh, with uh, Jeremy Vaney? Well, Peritopia. Oh, what is it called? Peritopia. Uh, he did saying, this podcast. Yeah, yeah, his name should be out there. He, so please, what's he's been on shows with um, with Soraya. He's been on Where the Road Go. Oh, yeah, um, nice. He's Ritzman is pretty well known in in some circles. I mean, yeah, he has I mean, some really yeah. intense encounters that he's talked about. Um, you know, he's he's an experiencer himself. Yeah, um, and I'm he's he's got it, sort of the same something. view on these things that we do. Yeah, he sounds like I I, I super like vibe like from where he's coming so i would yeah. like to see if you'd like to chat sometime i'd love yeah to. get him on the show i'm sure he'd talk to you i mean like the, the more i open my heart the freakier good it gets but like <laughs> no really like people all you need to do i don't know maybe it's just because i have my my venus libra sun right but it's like to me like all you need to do is just like fight your own shit enough to be vulnerable and someone else when they see that you're meeting them where they need to be met and I'm talking about reasonable behaving, not like out of whack, just normal everyday social interactions, not like crazy drunk, whatever, right? And so I think that's like, I don't know, the, the more I'm turning into that kind of like vessel, I'm not, I'm not planning what I'm saying right now. I don't know what's talking. But anyways, the more I turn myself into that kind of vessel, the more these amazing like fireworks of synchronicity start happening. Uh, anyways, take that for what you will. But um. I want to go back to what um, Zigor just asked about that because I think that's important. So Zigor, maybe you should answer your question first and then we'll go down the line and I'll answer last. Well, um, I mean, I don't have, I don't have any, I haven't done any kind of initiation rites myself or anything like that. So I don't have any personal experience. I, I just, I know, I know about what I've read and you know, the, the general, uh, mythological aspects of initiation and, and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, going, going into, into the cave, you know, is, you know, there's obviously the, the Plato connection there, but then there's also just, you know, going, going internally, like the, the cave represents your mind and going, going in there to slay, to slay your ego, which is what they end up doing um, in the, when they're invoking pan and stuff like that. Um, Cause they're, you know, they go into that expecting results and they, kind of 
feel like they're not getting any and all, and all that. Anyways, so I guess in a general sense, I, I know like that's that's the impression I got from from where the you know where people were saying they're going through an initiation. But yeah, I was just curious as to what people who have actually experienced that kind of stuff. Um, what was the trigger? What, what were the triggers <laughs> that that made magicians say that about you know what they were doing? I think that's definitely uh, a good place for Ren to pick it up, uh, and then uh, Alan after that. Sure. Um, well, actually, so I was one of the people um, who had been saying in different forums and, and online and stuff that I thought what they were participating in was. Uh, not an initiation, but a ritual. Um, I don't necessarily agree uh, with Ritzman's idea, uh, if he was the one, I can't remember if he was the one that said this or not, uh, but the idea that it is an initiation. Um, I have the distinct impression that they are players in a, in a theater production that they're not necessarily aware of. I get the impression that um, their strings are being pulled in different directions and the movements that they were making are like the uh, polygons that we trace in the air when we do rituals. Um, <laughs> hey, and, and it's, it's this, <clears throat> I, I get that there's these initiatory aspects to it, but I don't think that the end result it's necessarily initiation. I think the end result is revolution. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I do think it's pushing them in some ways. Um, like I mentioned this before earlier in the show about how I think that the current of Thalema is a major actor here. I feel like it's pushing them towards Thalemic magic in particular. It's pushing them towards like like doing the Star Sapphire, which I have to say that, that part, um, and I've been talking to Greg a little bit about this too. Um, the part about the star sapphire, they seemed really freaked out by it. And they're like, oh, you got to work up to this or whatever. Uh, I thought that was really funny because uh, you, you don't have to work up to the star sapphire. It's it's just, a, it's a pretty bog standard ritual for basic Thelemic magic. Um, it's Crowley's equivalent of the lesser hexagram uh, of the Golden Dawn system. Uh, there's wow. nothing. Now the symbolism <laughs> in the star sapphire is interesting and has relevance to what they were doing because in a lot of ways the star sapphire is an invocation of set like uh there's this line in it and set shall appear, set shall appear in the circle uh and it, what he's referencing is that the magician becomes set right that's the whole point of it uh and if you look at the mythology set is the lord of the liminal you know the the spaces uh uninhabited by people the boundary worlds the boundary lands and it would make sense that it would want them to do that in order for them to take on the aspects of set that would allow passage into the underworld. Uh, that's why I think the pan thing for them kind of fizzled because they were using, they weren't using the right magic. And I, I don't mean that in the sense that um, the type of magic that Dana does is, is, is wrong or isn't good magic. Um, I just mean that it wasn't the key that fit that hole. I don't think um, it was interesting that Greg started saying EO pen because I was wondering if he pulled that from somewhere. Uh, Cause he didn't seem to be reading it from anywhere. Um, 
but him saying eopan eopan was really interesting because uh, that's that's directly from the star advice. ruby if people aren't familiar uh, I got some good vibes when he was doing that. So yeah, that's interesting. I didn't. Yeah, know if that. he improvised that, then yeah, that's I think they need to do the Star Sapphire. Say again. I think they need to do the Star Sapphire. Oh, they're they, you know, they probably have or are planning to. They're yeah. yeah, and if they actually listen to this, who knows? It's not my concern. I mean, my the, here's the, the thing: podcast by saying it's not my concern, but if they do, yeah. they should. They should if you, they listen. They should try it. I think they're in some ways, maybe a little overly cautious about some of the things like that. Um, but look at what and I doing. tell people, the big money well, you can, bur- you can burn your fingers in magic for sure. Right. Oh, yeah. That's true. But for the most part, if something doesn't work in magic, what that really means is that nothing happens. It's let, cause I mean, I've, I've done the star Sapphire drunk off my ass walking around uh, St. Paul's or like, what is it? Yeah. St. Paul's cathedral in London. Um, you know, just like I yelling it in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's it's and you know like I I you know I didn't get eaten by uh, uh by cosmic forces or anything. yeah you know <laughs> would it be all right if we jump to Alan quickly I feel like I yeah yeah to sure go for it on this one thank you for that though and Alan what do you have to say to the back to the question about this as a like bring I guess at this point once we get to you now you got to hit the grand slam for us what's uh what about the initiation question and also what about this as it's kind of working itself into our reality we'll start to focus on that part next yeah i think that they're having initiatory experiences um but like ren i don't think the overall goal of the ultra terrestrials or whoever's moving things behind the scenes i don't think their goal is to initiate some people i think their goal is like ren said a ritual and uh where that's going, anybody's guess is as good as mine. Uh, the thing that uh, concerns me a little bit is uh, the area, Kentucky, and like that, have connections to Ashland and stuff like that. And the, if you're familiar with Peter Lavenda, he wrote a series called Sinister Forces that documents some extremely disturbing stuff that went on in these areas. So glad you mentioned that. Some of the uh, cult activity that they were hinting at in the show, discussing in the show with, uh, I believe her name was Amy, the girl that ended up in jail, the teacher who lost her job, who had experience with these people. Uh, Sounds a lot like a certain mind control program that used to operate undercover a few decades back in America. All the hallmarks are there. It just makes me think about how Kentucky is wicked weird. Just from a, I'll let you get back to this. I just have to say this at this point. It's the time finally. Not only is Frankfurt on the X Files episode the other night, the guy said he got detained in Frankfurt. He meant Germany, right? No, did he mean Kentucky? Well, that's my point. Why is the capital of Kentucky? What's significant about Kentucky conspiratorial? Speaking of Lavenda and occult Nazis. Oh, now I'm off. All right, let's go. So what I'm saying, look at one of the biggest mind control programs in our entire country for the past few years, if we're looking at it from a conspiracy angle. Let's make fun of it, right? Ha ha, it's funny. The Simpsons is based in Kentucky. And so where was all the weed grown to in the government weed? I believe it was Kentucky, bluegrass. So all that said, if you're following the thread, it's maybe leading to a noose that's wrapped around many Americans' heads. And if we want to be free, we need to step back a bit 
So anyways, I don't know, when you start rhyming, it sounds like you're telling the truth. I don't know. He's just, he's just a vessel. So the point is, is that I think there's some strange stuff going on with Frankfurt, Lavenda. I'm glad you mentioned that because that ties back to the Necronomicon, which ties back around to the, I just mentioned Yog Zothoth, but. And another I mean, aspect of Lavenda's work that is connected to this is some of the MK ultra scientists were also involved with the seance back in the fifties. The nine contact with the nine. So I'm glad you're still with us because there are some things that I've wanted to mention that we didn't mention in the show and I did not pick up the time to do in the intro. Fortunately, we're going to take a few minutes to quickly add that into here as we do this midtro. Thank you so much for listening so far. Of course, this is the Six of Cups episode 12, and we are deconstructing Hellier or something along those lines, as well as this is the time in the show where we mention those who are in the value for value model. Associate executive producers are the upper level, and this is the uh, thank you to those who came in under $200 and above the anonymous level of 50. <laughs> building wings with this show as we have jumped off of cliffs or something like that and i do want to say thank you uh to those who do not get mentioned because they do come in at the level that is anonymous we have several of you thank you again uh we're getting close to having a couple of new players on the board again uh at this point it is 55 55 to begin the character that's only going to go up of course this is growth model value for value um, the points that you get and use are always good. There's no going to change in the game that you can use. So if you have $50 that you donated to this episode and then you want to get $50 worth of things in game, you're never going to lose any points. Those always stay. But it's going to get more and more cumulatively uh, overhead to get into the game at all. So uh, no agenda has the knights at 1,000. We'll see when we get there. <laughs> but it takes time but I'm setting the right metric with respect to that as such. So the Six of Cups, the Six of Swords, the Six of Wands, the Six of Discs, all cumulatively part of the collective cycle of these shows. This one show, the Six of Swords flagship show that has the value-for-value value role-playing game. Uh, something of a spin-off uh, derivative? I don't know. A loving send-up to the actual real value-for-value value system as pioneered successfully and excellently and massively by No Agenda that I have created as one is wont to do in art, spirituality, and healing, and other things to spiral upwards into the value-for-value value role-playing game. So look forward to that at the Six of Wands. That's going to be this Sunday live. This Sunday being the one you should, if you're keeping up with the shows, that's the only one that matters. <laughs> but it's the Sunday in December, uh, right before Christmas, actually. So um, my midheavens totally like lit up in my Capricorn is conjunct Capricorn at four degrees because uh my excuse me Jupiter's Capricorn four for me so it's all lined up so this is a good time to be doing this stuff anyways I want to say Merry Christmas to you all uh, and Happy New Year's and Happy Hanukkah and Happy all other uh, festivuses and such <laughs> so thank you again for uh, listening to the six of cups episode 12 and i guess you're gonna have to wait for that last part to hear some of the quick things that we left out but the rune that they were point uh putting up everywhere i'll be putting any, i'll put i'll be putting out a post about this but that rune has been popping up very prevalently in my life and in fact i do a very rare rune spread once on a blue moon 
and that was the final rune in my spread. Uh, so we'll have more to say later. We'll see how much I put on this one. But without further ado, back to the show, Io. And so just one more thing about Lavenda that's interesting is that he also wrote that book about Seth and set worship, uh, The Dark Lord. And I was wondering if uh, maybe you guys wanted to speak a little bit about that before we transition to some other important ideas. Um, Zigor, maybe we can start with you and work our way down. Uh, do you have any familiarity with Lavenda's book, The Dark Lord, or any concepts uh, therein? Um, no, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that. The only thing I really I find interesting about Lavenda, or not the only thing I find interesting, but one of the things that, that I, I find interesting is just the whole Simon's Necronomicon that whole <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not a rumor he definitely wrote the yeah. simon omicron i mean i know that he denied it, it possibly is a channeled work i mean we've we talked yeah. about this in lunar cry a little bit but well um, that's the thing yeah. too because there's a there's a youtube video i have saved onto my computer i just found the other day of him giving a talk and it's quite clear it's uh it's not a question so, but um, yeah, no, if you don't mind, we're going to keep, uh, Zigor, if you don't mind, we're going to move uh, to Ren with a quick oh, yeah. word or two on the Dark Lord. So um, as I was mentioning this during the break to Drake, I've kind of slept on Lavenda aside from the Simonomicon and just listening to interviews with him and stuff. So I haven't read the Dark Lord. Um, like I'm supposed to get a copy of Sinister Forces for Christmas and I will be excited to read it and finally uh, actually start getting into his work. Um, but uh, isn't the Dark Lord, I, I have like just a passing familiarity with it. Isn't it uh, about Kenneth Grant's work? It has a lot to do with the Typhonian current. and uh, That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, that was like a book about the Typhonian stuff. Oh, it's amazing. It's, oh my God, it's probably one of my favorite books. I love his um, Java Temples book as well. That's probably my other favorite. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to include that because it feels, um, it would be bereft not to because of all the currents in the, you know, potential Necronomicon current included but drake do you want to say anything about this before we um get into your really interesting um tonal kind of like uh, devil's mountain black tower kind of like three tone thing like yeah uh like the the only book i've read by him is the first volume of sinister forces the second volume is actually in the mail on the way to my house right now and uh yeah that whole kenneth grant Typhonian current is interesting stuff. Uh, don't have a lot of familiarity with that, uh, except for uh, where he was involved with uh, uh, with Austin Osman Spare. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty fascinating stuff. And uh, the uh, um, kind of losing my train of thought here. Uh, yeah, I guess that's all I say there about that. The Kenneth Grant thing is important, too. Um, I'll just add that that's Danny Carey's, uh, one of his preferred authors. You can look up Danny Carey, the drummer of Tool and Zalm, and uh, he's been in Killing Joke and other bands. You can look up uh, his library on his website, dannycarey.org slash library. And, I'll, for, you know, he's got Hecate's Fountain, uh, The Mob Zone. He's got, like, almost all the Grant stuff out there, probably. and you know, I think he also has Freedom as a Two-Edged Sword by Parsons. Wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not sure. But, like, all of these things, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he had some, like, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the very symbol for the band Zom looks like it's two different Necronomicon characters. Yeah, nice. Yeah, could you, um, I know the audience, Drake, for the people who can see this, which isn't the audience, but he's going to open it up to the back cover or the front cover where it has Jack Parsons leaning up against a fireplace. The whole reason I'm bringing this up for the audience is that when I got my copy of Orphan 1, yeah, it's, in the, it's inside the book, actually, Drake, but um, that's okay. I mean, like, there's a picture of Jack leaning up against a fireplace. And the place where I bought this book was the Enchanted... There it is. So Rose saw this pic... Rose saw Jack in her house doing that on her fireplace. And then she saw the book. And then I bought the book there. And there's this whole weird thing with, like, again, three Libras and Crowley Parsons and yours truly. Who knows? I have no idea. This whole Enochian... Hey, Gavolt. So... Yeah, let's carry on forward. But I want to I want to intru- um, introduce the audience of the Six of Cups episode twelve. Uh, we do now have Ebra joining us, and welcome, Ebra. Howdy, howdy. Uh, would you care? Hey, to, What's up? Would you care to introduce yourself very briefly for the audience, and we'll, we'll continue on. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I have a a, a nice introduction. I, I don't do anything. I'm just kind of kind of me. But uh, Ebra is screening, but I you know I'm also Evan. Um, I don't really care what you call me. And just long, a, uh, it's not late for dinner. Yeah, as long as it's not late for dinner. <laughs> so I've just kind of been uh, hanging out with uh, Ren and some of these guys for about six, seven months now. So, And you're basically into magic and paranormal and UFOs and such and such and such. Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, all right. I just want to add that Ebra is a wealth of knowledge on synchromysticism and specifically the like British uh, synchromystic events that are around like the green stone and, and that uh, the Meonia current. So nice one, you know? Yeah. Don't let Ebra fool you. He's uh, he knows what's up. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are great. Let's carry on. And also again, that's Igor and Ren and Alan and Ebra. So, and I'm some kind of vessel. Hello. So, what so anyways let's carry on i want drake to pick us up at this tone thing because in fringe for example there's an episode where they have these because uh, i did a geomancy thing and it's anyways basically there's this thing in fringe where there's these four blinking lights it goes like green 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 red and it basically hypnotizes you or does something to you or interdimensions you or something time warp again so what i'm wondering is with these devil's tower light tones like the ding 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 or whatever it is which by the way it sounded very much like a, a epona's song when i just heard <laughs> off the bat i'm like that's epona's song da, 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 da. i'm like all oh, right we're gonna summon a horsey no it's a tin can this sucks i can't ride a tin can jupiter so anyways i'm glad we went through that um drake why don't you tell us about this sound tone thing that you've noticed? Because you put a lot of care and effort into this. And um, just like all of us are talented, and yes, Igor's got some definite stuff going on with respect. Um, Drake, tell us some of your talent in this. I want to hear about your uh, sound, what you've done with the analysis musically. The, uh, the main point that I want to get across is, is that uh, they were uh, using a uh, type of... Uh, music theory that didn't exist back when Pan was around, worshipped as a god. And uh, his followers would have used an ancient system of temperament 
like just intonation or perhaps Pythagorean intonation. And uh, that is a subtle mathematical shift to the ratios involved in the intervals in the notes. And it creates a different timbre. And I, the, I suspect when they started talking about how uncomfortable the tones were making them, that the reason why is because they're using modern standard temperament. And while that's wonderful for a lot of reasons, we gives us modern music, gave us the classical revolution, it introduces a bit of a dissonance to the diatonic scale. There's a bit of a uh, wah, wah, wah kind of sound in each of the intervals, except for the fourth and the fifth. So what's going on there, I think, is that they need to be using the Pythagorean ratios to create a cleaner timbre and they need to use a traditional instrument like go find some pan pipes, like a midi patch on a keyboard. I, I've personally been smacked, well not smacked, but just let known that my uh, instrument is disinteresting in some of my own experiments and like that's part of my own personal quest right now is to upgrade my ancient instrument game because it's lacking. So, uh, you know, when you're dealing with these kinds of entities, these, these mathematic ratios are, are, uh, are were sacred in Egypt, sacred in Greece, uh, and uh, the one, four, five ratio, the, the perfect fourth, the perfect fifth, is a standard thing you find all around the world where anywhere people divided the octave they noticed those harmonic intervals and those became the basis for dividing their entire uh, scale around these so yeah I, I would suggest that they uh you know and it's not hard to use this stuff there's modern digital tuners that will give you pythagorean temperaments for for your instruments but uh you need to use an open string instrument to do this or a pipe that's tonally uh, pitched that's has the proper intervallic ratios uh, the standard temperament i think is just not cutting it i do think it's interesting that if you expand pan by adding some ithagoria in the middle you get pythagorean <laughs> Hey, Drake, are you, um, have you read any of the work of uh, Dr. Joe Farrell? No, I really work want all? to. I'm intimidated by his fearsome, prolifically <laughs> massive catalog of books. I don't even mm -hmm. know where to Dr. start. Dr. F's not that I'm intimidated. I'm interested in everything he talks about. <laughs> yeah, you're going to want to get Thrice Great Hermetica. That is sure. on the list, yeah. yeah. I was, I was going to say the, the Giza Death Star series. Um, is definitely worth it because he brings I'm, I'm reading um giza death star destroyed the third book right now and um he definitely brings up the harmonics element right to it and, and says a lot of the same things you're saying that 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 he thinks that those patterns are reflective of the deeper structure of reality in the universe Absolutely. and through manipulation of those structures you can 
make changes happen. It's almost like that's the root of magic. Mm-hmm. That's what he's um, talking it's about. Super cool. set, it's set theory. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there's, you know, the visuals and mm-hmm. there's the uh, language and mm-hmm. part of that language is this pitch and tone that we have access to as physical beings. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of remarkable when you think about, you know, how you don't even need an instrument. You can use your voice if you're trained well enough, you know, if you have yeah, enough yeah. experience. And uh, the King's Chamber and the, the uh, Great Pyramid is a big reverb chamber. It's mm-hmm. tuned to certain resonant frequencies. And you, the same mm-hmm. thing is true about Gobekli Tepe. Yes. You know, White talks about going there and slapping his hand on one of the pillars and hearing it reverberate around the circle. Mm-hmm. And that these uh, pitch, pitch, I don't think, is such an important consideration because scientific pitch has only been around for uh, about four centuries. And that's what mm-hmm. gave us the classical music revolution. So the ancients right. were working with relative pitches, just ballpark mm-hmm. the pitch and then tune the rest of your instrument to that central A pitch, what the Greeks mm-hmm. called the misa, the middle note of the scale. Huh. And then you go from there. The middle path almost. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting too that the shape of the A would be something that carves straight up through the center as well, just symbolically. But um, I was wondering too, before my brain loses a thought, I was speaking with Graham Hancock because I think like Walter, brother Walter Bosley, Graham Hancock, Dr. Joseph Farrell. And I think like, you know, for Graham Hancock, when I spoke with him in um, May at like Barnes Noble at like way too late in the evening, um, I said to him, so King's Chamber, because, you know, we have like not much time and I just want to ask the thing, but this is the one for me. King's Chamber, Resurrection Chamber, you know what I mean? Like, is this a uh, ritualistic chamber for a life and rebirth ritual? I definitely think it wasn't a, a burial chamber. Uh, maybe a ritual barrier, burial chamber. Well, that's why I brought that up, because whatever um, the dimensions and, like, these life phases that we go through, this incarnation, like, mm-hmm. it's tonal in a way, right? The upward spiral of the evolution of the music of the spheres of the souls and not mm-hmm. as above, so below. So you and me and Brandon Ebra and Zigor and everyone listening, we're all, we're all actually actively real-time transmuting. This actually is real happening now. So it's important to grok this shit and get a get a handle on it and ride that, Poby. You know, ride that cowboy. So I guess the idea is that like basically these tones, it's what you said, the sword and the stone, the word and the tone. It's what you said. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. So I'm hoping that we can tie together these like bing, 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 or whatever it is. You know, maybe we can tie that together into something useful that, you know, whomever wants to use it could use it. Right. Well, remember they did leave their altar up in the cave. And they left it there for that purpose, for anybody exactly. who wanted to come after them and experiment with it. So, you know, the opportunities there, the welcome mats basically laid out. And Tool was doing a lot of that stuff with their last album, not only with like the Babylon 7s and stuff like that, but just the idea of changing the shape of the sound and just the meaning of it. That was a lot to do with the embracing of the seven structure there, because mm-hmm. that's also, you know, the eighth. So, is- yeah, they play with temperament and stuff like that a lot. So what, what- this is totally an aside, uh, Nathan Lee, but I just think it's funny. Like you've, you've keep mentioning tool and it's actually had a dream last night. Um, Cause I was never a big tool fan, um, but I actually had a dream last night that I was at like a very small private uh, concert where like Maynard James Keenan was like playing music 
Uh, all I really remember is that he was shirtless. <laughs> I wish I could remember what he actually played, but it was just really odd that I talked to you tonight and I, I've never dreamt about Maynard James Keenan before. So it was weird. It's very cool. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of strange stuff. Tool's all caught up in this too, because uh, like I said, Danny Carey's Kenneth Grant interest leaves us with an irrevocable uh, vibration of his presence somewhere near enough. So um, I'd say that um, speaking of music and tone and like, my God, the sound of my own voice, make it stop. Uh, Alan, <laughs> yes. um, would you please finish us up with what this tonal information's doing because you show me that these because it was like was is hallelujah by leonard cohen and buckley there is that like a code with the fourth and the fifth is i haven't that, looked into that but, uh, summoning a ufo you know who knows where this goes we won't know what will happen until somebody actually pulls it off you know goes into the you know gets the ritual right as ren's been pointing out um well, don't forget that the song is about david right and yeah. who is who is David, but the son Messiah of Solomon. King. Yeah. And that's getting into all those other things, but also Solomon's ring aside because of Solomon. Oh, by the way, part of, of course, a cult fan is that UFO. And Ren, if you notice, it's poo-poo or up-up. So it's like second dimension up kind of thing. I don't know. It's also saying that that kind of tinfoil saucer is poo-poo. Anyways, so the mm -hmm. point is... Yeah. <laughs> Yay, Japanese humor into American translation. It is funny, actually. <laughs> it is. So anyways, before we start lunar crying, let's continue laughing or at least be smart about things. I don't know. Did we ever do that once? Drake, be smart. You have this really cool concept about this whole three-note series. What does it mean that it's this segment? What does it mean in this empty set? Because I'm glad Ren brought that up. Um, the Thrice Great Hermetic Hermetica is really, if you want the book for that, um, but yeah, what do you think it means about these certain intonations? Why these notes? And is it kind of like saying something we need to do something with temperance? Uh, There's a seven tone scale that was sacred to the Pythagoreans called the heptachord. And it's related to the harmony of the spheres. Each note of the chord is, or the scale is, uh, is, uh, corresponds with one of the seven visible planets of traditional astrology. And, uh, with a configuration of F, A, and C, that's a, a major triad, <clears throat> that only occurs on the uh, scale from the second position, and then you stack thirds. So by the harmony of the spheres, the base note corresponds to Zeus or Jupiter, the uh, mid-tone, which is the A, corresponds to Apollo, Helios, the sun, and C corresponds to Aphrodite or Venus. Knew it. So, so it's the benefics. It's the benefics and, uh, the, the, and the, the major luminary. The you are, luminary. You're the major luminary, my dude. Like, you just really nailed it. Wait, you have a Leo sun, Zeus. right? Zeus is related to Pan, too, don't forget. You were saying that earlier, and, like, I'm totally, like, tripping on the fact that all this Jupiter stuff's going on, and my Jupiter is at four degrees Capricorn, where it basically is right now. Goat town. What's that? Goat town. Yeah, right? Sea goat. Um, yeah, but it's in the joy of Capricorn, right, or whatever you said? 
Oh, the term. Yeah, you're you're in a good term. It's a benefic term, I believe. And then the next term will be Jupiter's own term, if I remember this correctly. And uh, yeah. Well, it's a good place for Saturn, or it's a good place for Capricorn, at least, for Jupiter to be in. But um, to carry on forward, so this is like really interesting why these three particular chords are chosen, because I think you've hit the nail on the head. And also, I don't think that your Leo sun's too, it's Leo sun, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's too offended at being called a luminary. I, I can't imagine it being so. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, I know, right? Like stroking one's uh, astrological... My Venus and Virgo has a hard time taking compliments. Oh, I see that. All right, well, I'm relentless with love, so surrender to love, as Alex, Alex Gray says. Um, in the meanwhile, um, we do have uh, Ebra and Zigor and Ren and Alan and I all together here tonight, and I want to finish up this music point and bring it more into a full... Um, conversation soon but let's finish up this point about what you think it means to have these particular tones with this overall hellier thing going on and then we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this the strangeness of the case and such well when you play these tones together you create the reason why it's called the chord is because ropes are made of three strands and braided together and that's what you're doing with these these tones is you're wrapping them up around each other and you're you're you know to get platonic i guess uh this is a synthesis and uh with the three notes you get resonances and frequency you know people say frequencies a lot um but these frequencies these resonant frequencies are greater than the sum of their parts and uh this is uh the position in the scale if you put it on a seven string lyre like orpheus played they hold the center position of the scale on the lyre it's like they hold the whole thing together and to the Pythagoreans, the lyre was like their tree of life. It was it represented the harmony of the cosmos. So this these tones, when they play them like that, by my estimation, they're placing themselves at a harmonic center of the universe. Truly, then life is good. That's fascinating, man. You nailed that. That's at the center of it all, kind of stuff. I really. I, I'm gonna. I just want to accolade. I appreciate what you just did there. Thank you. I think that's going to be really useful to understanding this as uh, people go forward. Let's uh, dolly into the next room and camera clip. So basically, we're dealing with this kind of like maxing out into like a really weird conspiracy like melange like basically i think connor put it best it's like everything's here what is this you know and they said they got a bad feeling about it but it seems like that girl ultimately was coming from some place unless we're like unless this is fictional which is just really weird to have fictional because we have like you know steven and james and jerry on cruise and mistake you can hear jerry say taco bell at the end of it it's just like all right this is, and then Ren and Alan sights on the thing and they're using it to crack the thing wide open. I mean, like, and God, I mean, this is absurd. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. I definitely don't think they're faking anything. I mean, no. there's too many things that match up. 
no, Greg and Dana are in real serious like this. They're taking this very seriously, as they well should. Yeah. I mean, have some fun. You know, as uh, Herman Hesse says, seriousness is an accident of time. Eternity is only long enough for a joke. <laughs> but um, that being said, because how can we get by without a Herman Hesse quote? Um, I want to I get um, Ebra and Zigor in on for a little bit more of the uh, the basic, like, let's start with Ebra Newcoming. Um Keep a let's get a brief kind of like what do you make of this whole yeah, green man? Like, you don't you can say what you will, you can say what you know, but what do you make about this weird like thread? This seems like these little Yoda things seem to be turning us on. What do you think about that, Ebra? Well, we're we're what we're seeing here, I think, is going to relate to very old and forgotten mystery cults. And it was maybe the thing that uh, Crowley was picking up on. Uh, and these are things that I don't think we have a good understanding of because, you know, and I'm not anti-history. Uh, we definitely need to learn from history. But what we kind of learn, what we've definitely been learning over the past, I, at least I know I have over the past 10, 15 years, is that the, the institutions that go back and study these, if you do not look at them with magical eyes, you're not going to get the full story. I mean, look at what happens to, you know, uh, indigenous cultures and things like that. When we look at these, you know, different cultures and you get it through this framework that's like, oh, yeah, no, they think the trees are people. How cute. You know, it's this very dismissive. You're uh, correct about that because the Navajo know that's true. Yeah. And that's the difference. It's, it's the difference between like, oh, they think it's trees and knowing it's true. Do, and, and I think all of us that are magically operant have and who have had some sort of experience with, with spirits, we, we, you grow to understand that being different more and more and more. But interacting with place, interacting with the world is something that we do not have much experience with. And I think in a way, because, uh, and I'm not going to go into full, but if you kind of look at the, the psychic questing stuff, the books you can find. So I'll drop the Greenstone. Um, you, can find, you can find that one in Kindle and online. Uh, some of the the two other ones that were big in that main one during the eighties and nineties were the uh, the Eye of Fire, also by Graham Phillips and Martin Keatman, as was the Greenstone, and then uh, Andrew Collins' The Seventh Sword. But Andrew also has stuff like The Black Alchemist, and um, you got I'm just going to start naming a few for people to check out if they do want to. Um, Spirit Chaser by Alex Langstone, that's a pretty good one, and then Paul Weston's work in general. Just he and he covers a lot of the uh, Mianaya stuff in brief. You can find uh, kind of the Dan Brownian side of the psychic questing. Like there's so much like mystical and magical and like very high profile stuff going on. But they kind of Graham kind of likes to whittle it down in public to like, oh yeah, we got a couple of psychic clues, and then we we follow these paintings and these clues that we found until we got these these artifacts. And, it's very similar to what Hellier is doing, of course, in a way. Oh, it's ext- oh, the parallels go are going pretty deep in a way that I can't do it concisely um, very well. But um, what I think is going on is that we have we're 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 going to get an understanding of this death and rebirth thing. And you know, I know that's old Aeon stuff. If we're going to be using the ninety three current, but maybe it's maybe we just need one last you know one last go at that story um, <laughs> in, in a way that's significant, and then maybe you know maybe things will change. I mean, it sounds a little grandiose, but we got to try, right? What the hell are we doing if we're not trying? No, um, I just want to add real quick, Evan. There, um, I, I don't think you're completely wrong there. You know, I, I do push the polemic angle of this, but uh, that whole descent into the underworld narrative um, is the Osiris myth. I mean, that's the descent of Christ into hell during the Harrowing, or 
you send a banana into the underworld where she is basically reborn. Um, that is an element of the story that that's interesting and it is you know, a siren current thing. Um, so I don't know what to make of it necessarily, but yeah, I don't, I don't think you're off base there. No, yeah. I actually, I agree completely. I just, uh, think it's, um, probably very useful to have all of those texts that you've added. I was like, mm-hmm. of course he comes on and starts listing off more books than we've had all evening. <laughs> this is good. Actually, um, you do have a very sensitive and intimate and I want to say rich understanding of the entire tapestry of what's going on. But um will you just say a little bit more about this is what I this is what I was gonna say, but thank you, Ren. Because like legit, that's true. I want to say this idea that you were talking about how people have forgotten about like we don't quite understand how deep it goes. I mean, obviously you can see in the X Files there are people who make these things and who write these things who have some familiarity working in the praxis, right? of how that all goes. You have like, that's basically the entire X-Files and of course Twin Peaks too, but what would you notice? But the fact that Greg and Dana both really have a huge synchro mystic vibe going on with both Twin Peaks and the X-Files. So it makes perfect sense that you're going to start to see these things weave through that as well, but say just a little bit more about what people need to kind of use as a framework. You said people don't do this magically is what you said at one point. And I want you to say, what's a good framework people can use to kind of understand these older mystery cults and what this is all about? Narrative. It's just all about narrative. And this is going to be a hard thing for people to get into because I think that in the thing I've noticed, probably the biggest problem with, um, I'm just going to say the magically operant, we're entering an age where this is kind of replacing it. I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, shit and get off the pot and say that. Magic's coming back in a real big way. It's already back in a real big way. And as, you know, as we enter, because things are changing, because things are always changing, but they are changing. Um, and as we enter into this, we're going to have to understand that narrative and, and how that interplays with things. And you have to be confident in yourself and trust yourself because that is the, you know, I'm going to use a Gordonism, the Cartesian head trauma, right? That's the last bit of that kind of Gordonism. thing. Well, and it's a, and he's got good isms. I, I can't deny it. Uh, he's better at it than I am. Well, That's let's <laughs> let's also make sure that um, we do t- bring Zigor into this too. But did you want to just say the, that last bit about framing the mystery cult thing? You think it's about narrative, so it's people driving a narrative, trying to cause things archetypally. Is that what you're saying? I mean, that is magic, and that's yeah. how these things communicate. It's how it yeah. communicates through folklore. It's it's how we it's how we do things. You cannot separate narrative from your life. Yeah, no, but Z- that. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I just want to let uh, Zigor jump in because you have a Gnostic background in a way. And wouldn't you see this happening? How would you say a Gnostic or to the Gnostic-ish minded, how would they view what's happening to Greg, Dana, Connor, Carl, Tyler uh, at at all? What would you say that would be? How would you express that in those terms? Oh, just that they're that they're. uh... I mean, yeah, I hadn't really hadn't really thought about it in in that regards. I guess um, just that they're kind of tapping into tapping into the source, like the source the source itself is seem seemingly trying to communicate directly with them. The thing that that Ebra was talking about that had me had me thinking, uh, you know, not necessarily not not necessarily in regards to like ancient uh, cults and stuff like that, but you know. I think 
maybe what Greg and Dana are dealing with are, you know, spirits trying to communicate with, with them in the ways that we used to be able to communicate with spirits in prehistory, where they could directly, you know, cause our emotions, you know, implant thoughts directly into our heads. Like we were, you know, you know, the ancients, from my understanding, believed that their, like various emotions they would feel weren't their own. They were coming from, you know, Zeus or, or whatever, whatever deity. So it's almost like, you know, the various signs they're getting with the tin can and the balloons and stuff like that are just, are metaphors that, that are manifesting physically <laughs> that um, would have, in ancient times when we were more tapped in, would have been a direct message. But now they just pop up as like a, you know, a, the fucking tin can on the, on the ground. Whereas, yeah, like, like, like Drake was saying with like, you know, tin can representing a vessel that you can't close, you know, maybe, and with the, the whole, the cipher and all that, like that, that's the only way we can kind of start to understand the way the ancients were able to communicate with these spirits is by going through this cipher and, and reading it out that way. But anyways, that's what, that's what, whatever was talking about that made me, that's the, the train of thought I went on along with whatever was saying, but. I think that's awesome, man. I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. And especially makes me think of the space junk that Cooper's trying to read in Twin Peaks or what David Bowie would probably say is like the alien language or something. Like it's just so much information at once. You know, it's like a blast that needs to be deciphered. It's kind of like what that sounds like, the like decipher, right? So yeah. yeah. I think Dana was talking about, you know, them them trying to communicate with them emotionally, which almost which almost sounds a little um, cliche, but um, but I mean that's kind of that's kind of how I'd interpret it. Is they're just they're just dealing with with spirits trying to communicate <laughs> in an old fashioned way that we just don't we just don't communicate that way anymore. Yeah, that was a really interesting thing when she brought that up because um, I don't know how many people here are familiar with the book um, Amazon Beaming by Peter Pescu, um, but it's all about um, uh, it was about this National Geographic uh, photographer, um, journalist guy, is the guy who actually discovered the source of the Amazon, uh, finally. Um, I forget his name, but it, it's like a nonfiction story about his trip into uh, the Amazon to try to find this un, uh, uncontacted tribe called the Mayaruna. And he ends up basically getting stranded there in the jungle with this tribe that he doesn't share any language with at all because they don't speak Portuguese and don't speak any of the native languages that he knows. Um, completely unable to communicate with them at all. And he stuck with them for like three months or something as they're migrating. Um, Cause they're on this long journey to basically reach uh, the end of the river or like the end of time in their minds. Um, so it's like this, this long quest away from civilization. Um, and he starts to have these. That's, what was that? that's amazing. <laughs> Keep it's going. a really good book. I highly encourage people to read this book. Um, there at some point, he starts having these telepathic conversations uh, with the head shaman of the tribe. Um, and the way he describes it, he says, it's not like, he's like, I know I'm describing it as if I was hearing his words in my head, but that's not how it worked. He said, it was more like, I understand, I, I felt the feelings that I would have felt if he had said a specific thing to me. He said, my, my mind was filling in the gaps there with the words. Um, but what was really being transferred was these emotions or emotional states. It's the knowing. And, um, That's exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. He calls it beaming. And later on, um, 
he talks to uh, another person in the tribe. He finally runs, they finally run into someone from that tribe who speaks Portuguese. So he's able to speak with him. And he talks about how uh, this person, you know, he asks about this and the person says, uh, yeah, that's the old speech. That's the way we, that the, that's the way the elders used to talk. And he said that no one really knew how to do it anymore. Um, that it was something that only the, the, you know, real old, old timers knew how to do anymore. Um, and I, I've thought a lot about that. And I've thought a lot about lately about the, the, what, what I think Gordon has referred to as the tower of Babel moment. Yeah. Um, that's another Dr. Joseph Farrell, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I've been reading Joe Farrell's like cosmic war and stuff. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And, and I was thinking, well, what if that is like, uh, th- that's the true magic and the tower of Babel was about removing language from humans. Um, but it was about removing this, this Ur language yes. uh, that we all used to have. Uh, yes. and then that, that in order to depower humanity, basically that was taken away from us. I think there's something, uh, I think there's a whole bunch of synchronicities about like, particularly Abrahamic practices that are all tied to like that over like the overarching gestalt. Mm. I think there's something tied to that. Uh, the, um, the watering down of the human genome and such, I don't know, uh, maybe making yeah. it easier for Araman to control. I don't know, but the whole point, yeah. is, right. I don't know, but the point is, is that there's some, there's a bigger game afoot and I don't think calling it a game is fair because like shit matters. But anyways, um, let's jump a little bit more into like how we see this narrative can have the darker aspects. And if we're creating the reality using our tones and intentions and ultimately whatever this gestalt or language is, how do we win the war on dreaming and make it so that there's a, some more peaceable semblance? I don't have a better way to put that for now, but it's a good enough because if Helior could really cause a good change, wouldn't it be that overall one? I don't know. It, it doesn't just have to be Thalema. It could be some weird mix of all the things that work. But I'll, I'm going to point this. I want to just a few, maybe a minute each from everyone since we have a pretty full table. Please do your best to remember that question the way I asked it. But let's start with Zigor and we'll work our way around. So the the que- <laughs> the question was how do we how do we make it a a positive outcome from Hellier? Is that what what you're asking or I think whatever comes to your gut is probably the right answer right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um yeah, I mean they're dealing with some pretty pretty dark stuff, but it's it's almost, you know, it, it seems like, you know, there's there's two different two different paths that they could that they could go on. One, you know, is where these these spirits are communicating with them, uh, almost trying to get their get them to, you know, pay attention to what's happening below the ground. And then they're also dealing with these below ground entities. Um, so yeah, it almost seems like to me, there's two different channels and they got they are going to have to be careful which ones they listen to, uh, which channel they tune into. Um, so I think, yeah, they're just, so they're just going to have to pay attention to the, the ones that are trying to call attention to the, to the dark things that are happening, um, and not get too, not get too, uh, deep into the darkness, um, like the, like, like Amy. And uh, keeping it under a minute, I will say that I was pretty, I was surprised that, that Amy seemed to be, even though she was blurred out, 
uh, in the inflections in her voice and stuff seemed seemed like she believed what she was saying. But. Absolutely. That's a key thing. I'm glad you mentioned that this evening. Um, good one. Uh, let's move to Ren. So, like, how do we keep it positive? Or, or what do you see that a good effect could come from this, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, a re-enchantment of the world. Like, um, <laughs> the final, like, realization and then revolution into the Aeon of Horus. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've thought about this before. Um, <laughs> I've actually compared it, I don't know, uh, since, since, you know, we talked about Japanese um, games before. I've thought a lot about what's going on in Hellier and my own kind of desires for humanity and stuff and thought about, it's like, basically, this is almost like human instrumentality from Evangelion. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, so basically Hellier is going to be the thing that leads to the uh, the fourth impact. Um, I don't know. I, If nothing else, I think Hellier has changed the way that I see my own magical practice, and I think it can help a lot of people with that. Like, I've started incorporating uh, Spirit Box stuff into the conjurations I've been doing, and I've gotten fantastic results from that. Um, I think it is a positive... Uh, change for like depictions of this type of investigation in general you know like this stands in such stark contrast to like reality ghost hunting television shows you know and it, it's it tacks much closer to my own experience doing going down these rabbit holes and you do have a rabbit hole that we're going to get around to eventually but for now <laughs> this is the question at hand but that's um that's a fantastic answer um I want to say, where's my envelope to do this? Like, uh, I want to say, uh, Alan Drake. Uh, how do we win the war? <laughs> well, yeah, to take it back to uh, Lavenda's Sinister Forces, um, the technology, the magical technology and approach used by our landlords here, <clears throat> he called it in, in places an assault on the land of memory because that's what mind control is all about is being able to manipulate erase implant memories that will cause you to do things or cause you to forget the things you do and uh so you know the positive way to go with this, I think, and I think the outcome that's going to come out of this is that we're all, all of us that are participating in this, this event, um, we're going to, uh, we need to get back in touch with that land of dream, that land of memory, because it's under assault 24-7. We're the most propagandized people that have ever lived on the face of the earth and I think one of the things this is going to help us do those of us that are participating is we're going to turn off our tvs we're going to log off the social media we're going to go spelunking in a cave we're going to go looking for the spirits of the land we're going to try and re-engage with uh this land that we've inherited that we don't even know really because I find this is a problem with myself 
thinking of American history is not only just the 400, four or 500 years of colonial history, but just the last two, 200 years or so of United States of America history. But this land is just as ancient as any other and has been populated for many, many thousands of years, has seen the rise and fall of empires, has lived under gods we don't even know the names of. And uh, we need to acknowledge that. We need to engage with it. A thousand, one hundred and eleven percent. That is a solid answer. That is solid. Uh, Ebra, bring us home, brother. What what Alan said. Um, <laughs> Nicely done. All right, moving yeah. on. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I got, I got one. Well, so, and you kind of mentioned, you know, um, you know, the, the sort of the, uh, the elephant in the room is the lemma, I think, on this entire thing. And, and, and for better or for worse. And I'm not anti, anti Thalema, especially since my buddy runs in here. Um, joking. No, I, it's been a very powerful current in my life. Um, but I think what, I think this is sort of my personal goal and in, in the, how I get results in this is I'm just seeing this as a way to set up better lines of communication with what is not human, what is, you know, beyond us. And, and that could encompass everything from, you know, earth spirits to sublunar ones to, to our ancestors, to the dead, to everything. The, I think what the point of the 93 current is and what this is being led on is just the ground, the, the meeting house in which we talk to these things. And that's, that's, you know, my way of, of, of whittling down a very, very big concept that's going to involve a lot of things and a lot of people. That was excellently uh, well, sta well stated, well said. And uh, I'll say it for a third, well met. Um, my, my response to the general, what can we see from this? It's a little bit of what everyone said, but obviously, like, I think that more people are going to understand that we have intimate responsibility to keeping ourselves on that path like Zigor mentioned of ultimately whatever any current is whatever morality or vantage points or power structures or whatever anything is ultimately like your vibrational state I think what we want to see from this is realizing that because we are all connected and that synchronicity is real that the subconscious is real hypnosis is real alien Abduction is something that I don't understand, but there is absolutely something going on with that and UFOs and ancient mystery cults and humans as a particular either money or chattel or energy source or something that may or may not be happening. We, we have to face the darkness to know what it is so that we can use light, I think is ultimately what I'm going with this. And if people are watching hell, you realize that you're responsible for you know it's it's i'm not saying it's too late it's never been not too late it's always been happening now you have been initiated now you have to do what they did in the cave ultimately we leave this conversation knowing that everyone who's been spoken about and anyone and everyone here who has spoken and everyone who's listening i intend we're all going to do our best to treat each other the best we can no matter what these forces are because ultimately it's our individual choice to choose to treat each other with compassion, with reason, and with generosity and within reason. This whole thing I'm trying to say is that 
your subconscious is where a lot of this is going on. There are other levels of reality. Hellier is showing us just a symptom of this, right? Well, the point is, is that ultimately this is the call. Time to join <laughs> whatever it is that can't be seen. It's up to you, listener. But there is there there ultimately are two paths. I mean, I am H O, but uh in my I am H U in my humble human understanding or whatever. But that's where I would say I would hope to see from hell you're going from this all honestly. But that's also kind of like because I love to play on those three strings of Jupiter, Venus, and the Sun too. So ultimately that's where I would like to see this going. If those are the three tones. Maybe it's something about flipping them so they're in an ascending order or something. I don't know. But there's also one thing I'd like to interject into here before we get to Ren's story. There's a website out there talking about Alexander Scriabin and other musical theorists throughout time. It's losdogis.org or something to this effect. And you can actually listen to what they call the mystic chord. And there's several other forms of... Um, understanding sound and color and the theosophists go into this and like one can only imagine how many things like un, like i believe it was ebra who said like the uncounted gods or you know it's like even we don't even think about china like we don't even think like yes ancient history in america what about also you know what i mean so it gets really big and we need to understand that ultimately we have to count on the guides of our spirits to like give us the tools that we need lavenda talks about how books just fall into his lap well, you know what? St. Cyprian loves a lot of the listeners. So if you get good with him, you're going to start getting all the information you'll need. It's up to us to praxis the whole thing. So to finish the point, we're all connected. Get your shit together and at least help yourself out. If you can help yourself out, then you can help out others. This is a real thing going on. Let's take care of each other. All of those who are at least enough into the White Lodge to do that. Metaphorically speaking, of course. So... I guess to kind of like bring it forward, Ren, would you please, um, with whatever you're comfortable saying, talk a little bit about what you've continually come back around to and let's talk about it finally? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't have a ton to say about it yet, um, but I, I think that one of the hellier in a way, and maybe this is what they mean by initiation, in a way it's a call to adventure, you know, the sort of um, Joseph Campbell hero's journey thing. It's, it's a call for other people to follow their own paths um, that seem to synchronistically link up to what they're studying in Hellier. Um, some th things that have come around full circle for me that I didn't quite even realize until recently, um, I had completely forgotten to say about the Stillwater, then mentioning Stillwater during the, the Spirit Box session until the first episode of season two where uh, Strain goes there. Um, in 2018, before Hellier came out, cause I think it was like January 2019, I was getting these weird emails from this guy in, uh, in Minnesota about Black Triangle UFO sightings in Stillwater uh, in the 1970s, and then he said he saw one in 1996 or something. Um, I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time because the emails were very, his speech is very erratic. Um, it kind of creeped me out a little bit. He seemed like he maybe wasn't entirely well, but uh, I rolled with it and just kind of like talked to him for a little bit and kind of forgotten about it until recently. Um, and so when I heard them start talking about Stillwater, I was like, well, that's really strange. And then I, um, I start looking around at, uh, I start researching this stuff in Stillwater. And sure enough, there's the history of UFO sightings there going back uh, to the 1880s airship mysteries. Um, so 
I, I haven't really been able to chase down that line yet. Um, I once the weather here isn't, uh, you know, ninth circle of hell subarctic, I plan on going out to Stillwater and trying to get abducted by some UFOs. Um, but in the meantime, I've also been uh, contacted by this private investigator who has been looking into missing persons cases for several years in Minnesota. Uh, he was forwarded over to me by Adam Sane of the Conspiracy Normal podcast. So um, this guy, um, I had finally had a phone call with him uh, last night um, where we went over some of the details of the cases he was looking at. And the small town that he, uh, some of these cases are centered around, apparently has a history um, of like in the 1970s, uh, there being people sighted out in the woods in white robes, uh, enough so that they called them the white sheets. And uh, there were several witnesses to these strange people in white robes out in the woods with lanterns. Um, there's also a ton of weird murders and missing persons from the same area. And um, there's also a, a, a Bigfoot, uh, local Bigfoot legend there um, with this hairy man who appears and chases people in the woods. And sure enough, after looking into the geological survey of the area, there's, uh, it's, it's all a limestone. So it's built on limestone cave systems. Um, it, was, it was really weird. And then I, I, I put, cause I, I got inspired by what Carl had done with the map, like plotting the lines through things. So I put this town on a, uh, I, I put a pin on it in like Google Maps, whatever. I put a pin in Stillwater, and sure enough, like both Stillwater and this town are on a single straight line that runs from Hellier. So runs right through Minneapolis, through Stillwater, into this other town. Um, I'm not saying the name yet. Just some some people know it, but I'm just a, a lot of this work has been done by the private investigator. The last thing I want to do is steal his thunder in this. So I'm, I'm keeping a lot of it close to my chest right now. Um, As you should. One, yeah, because I don't, I don't want to steal his work. He's done a ton of stuff in this. Um, and obviously, he's, he hasn't seen Hellier. He's exploring this from his own angle, right? And, Which makes it all the more fascinating. Yeah, and his angle is much more down to earth. Like, he's interested in the cult. Like, he's, he doesn't, he's not like a, he's got like a passing interest in the UFOs and stuff, but he's not deep in the woo like I am. So... Um, you know, I'm obviously looking at like how this relates to the narratives that were going on in Hellier and in an interesting usage of the, um, this actually wasn't even NAQ related. Uh, this was just, I just looked up, I Googled the name of that town and it turns out that, um, let me see if I can, just one second. This is some real time checkage of the NAEQ. This is a message. Yeah. Dubai. Okay. So. The name of the town, it's a very odd name. It's Greek, and, it, and there is a really famous battle during the Greek War of Independence. Uh, that's the same name of this town. Um, and the town is near the, or this, this battle was near a town called uh, Dero, D-I-R-O. Oh, yeah. It, it turns out Dero is most famous for its extensive cave systems that were apparently used in Neolithic times for worship underground. Uh, and the name Dero, D-I-R-O, sounds awfully familiar to D like Darrow from the Shaver mystery. Yeah. So there's this weird synchronistic, like, I, it, I don't think the, it was called that because of any of that. But it's just like, it's hard not to see that name also be the name of this battle that is related to this town that has this weird Shaver mystery association. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then... <laughs> 
like, like for, one of know, the, serenity did that too in firefly they named serenity yeah. after yeah i was just there's more um but yeah no uh please continue that's crazy uh, the, the last final little tidbit uh and and again i want to preface this by saying that this is still very early investigation stuff um one of the there's a letter from this guy who was in a north dakota state prison uh, in the 1970s, who was basically telling these investigators all about these like cult killings um, and giving like very graphic like details about the killings. Um, now, my uh, investigator friend seems to think that this guy was being manipulated and that uh, he was kind of fed a line of crap and then he fed, was trying to feed the line to these investigators. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I've got a copy of the letter and I've been reading it again and again and it's really creepy. But the thing that really stood out to me when he said the name of this guy who wrote this letter, uh, signed at the bottom of the letter is Terry M. So That's weird. I I don't think it's the same guy as Terry M. Rist from Hellier, but just again, it's the synchromysticism thing. It's like the names are so similar, Terry M. Like there, and he's it's involved in these like cult murders, and that has in an area that has a history of like cryptid sightings that's built on a limestone cave system. It's like, well, what it's the hell? Ladero is uh, speaking of language, uh, anagrams mm -hmm. to road, and mm -hmm. so there's something about like this weird dark magic thing you can do, like when stoners like do the box to another stoner. You know what I'm talking? Everyone knows what the box is. Freaking mm -hmm. asshole move is what that is. So when you look at how there's like this thing that they do in hypnosis, like very similar to what happened to that. So I want to bring this up as I'm talking about hypnosis, because going down the road is something that they use in hypnosis. That's a, that's a whole occult thing you can do to someone's head. I swear to God, that might've happened to Liz Frazier of the Cocteau twins. That aside, that's secret sun work there. You can check that out. Um, geez, where was I going with that before I got distracted by getting possessed by entities? <laughs> where was I ever going before that? Anyways, um, the two roads you can go down in the Darrow, Let's see here if I can pull this together. I swear I got a point here somewhere along the way. Ugh. Well, you want a funny little story from my childhood that I just remembered like recently? Yes, that'll buy me some time. Thank you. Okay. So um, <laughs> there, there's like this wooded area behind my childhood home that I used to spend a lot of time in. And uh, deep off in the middle of the woods, there was this little, um, it was like a pipe, like a metal pipe just sticking out of the ground. I don't know what the hell it was doing out there. Uh, maybe it was like a property line marker at some point or something. Um, but I remember like always like looking into it, like peering into it when I was a kid, uh, thinking that I could like see like lights at the bottom of it or something. And um, I was convinced as a kid that this pipe led to like an underground world and that there was a, uh, a shape-shifting man who lived inside of this pipe uh, that I called the Goblin. Huh. And I don't know why I thought that his name was that or that it was the Goblin or whatever, or that he was a shapeshifter. I don't know where these ideas came from because <laughs> I was like really little, like maybe five or so. Yeah. I, I never really I've thought about, like I wrote a short story when I was in college that had to do with this, but I hadn't thought about it in years until I was watching Hellier and I was like thinking about Shaver mystery stuff. And um, in the story I wrote, I directly like recalled Shaver mystery stuff in regards to it. Um, so but yeah, goblins underground. That's awesome, dude. I'm so that's perfectly <laughs> fitting that it came out right now like that. Let me tell you, yeah. this. I, re I realized I, you bought me necessary time and I figured it out. 
that I was talking <laughs> about the psychological devices that they use and the occult and such. And that's dude, the fucking things moving around in our dude's house up there. Like he's just <laughs> like. So one thing I noticed about this, I'm gonna go out of the thing here. You never expect that to happen. What I noticed, because I, I love these things with psychology and like hypnosis and stuff. It's just mesmerism and like, you know, the quantum of human connection and like whatever's going on at these other levels. I've had some weird stuff happen. You know, like I need to learn how to control this. So anyways, the idea is that he took his hand. He took control of his body. He immediately altered the situation for the subject. Right, I'm talking about the UFO scene where they in, induce the UFO and um, for <coughs> excuse me for the listener, I'm talking about like they take his hand and they flip it. So if you can imagine that, like there's a hypnosis guy sitting in front of you, a hypnotist, hypnosis guy, um, in front of you, and he takes your wrist and then Terry our wrists it back towards your face, so your palm faces you, like in a very sudden jerking motion, and like puts your own palm in your face. He's basically done that stoner box trick to you. And he's, what he's done is he's interrupted your nervous system. He's interrupted your, um, your, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems rapidly enough so that he induces a, a, a state of chaos, uh, a state of uh, initiation almost. It's a minor. It's, it, initiation never stops. That's because, you know, <laughs> for those who examine the life, it's, you know, it's, it's delicious, this banquet of life we live. So what I'm saying is that he took his hand, jerked it back into his face, made him focus on a familiar, passively familiar setting, but then radically altered the terrain. There's several things he does, but what he basically does is he warps the guy's nervous system and then even starts leading him down the road, so to speak, to the Darrows. And then the light comes in in that impossible shape. And that was brilliant to do because you're really the, – the mind is just wet works at that point. You know, you're just looking at like pure subconscious stream. So he put this guy into this state that Alan Greenfield, rightfully, I agree, was unethical to have done. I mean, like Tyler Strand is – I think Tyler Strand, by the way, just para, para, you know, set theory. Tyler Strand needs to be a drinking game. Every time Tyler Strand's name – every time you hear Strand, take a shot or a beer. It's Tyler Strand drinking cream. So basically, it comes back around to like, there's this psychic shock that he's done. And I noticed that there's footsteps up in the dude's house. Like, he's got shit going on up there. So like, these are not necessarily, I just want people to judge that for how they will, if they will. But basically, I thought it was interesting that they broke his mind mirror, so to speak. And now he actually believes. But it's not a loving belief. What is it? It's a state of like, triggered mk ultra terror i mean it's also in hell year you get like a mic as uh, a microcosm of mk ultra conditioning right there what do you um, i'd like actually if we could go through the panel just right quick and say something to that i i didn't expect to say that um all right uh same order as usual zigor would you mind starting us yeah i think i think we should i think we should hold a vote on whether that was uh, ethical or not i i totally agree that it was completely unethical <laughs> they I, I i don't know i don't i i don't know if they just if they thought about the implications and just went ahead with it anyways or just didn't even just thought it wouldn't really work and went with it anyways i don't know but um yeah so <clears throat> there was something you said earlier about four lights and he said he was he was saying that the craft had four lights um but i don't that's interesting of course it could be something like that yeah. yeah, um 
Well, thank you. That's a good response. I, I don't necessarily uh, know about a vote or anything like that, but people are yeah. all free to speak their minds and doesn't need to be a number. It's just how people feel. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, but I, f- I feel you. Um, okay, Ren, I believe you're up. Yeah, I mean, so I, I expressed my feelings on this a little earlier when I said that I, I definitely thought the experiment that they were conducting um, was unethical. I think that that kind of experiment, because it's honestly, it honestly isn't that different if you've ever done path working. Yeah. Um, it, it's similar to the experience of doing path work. Yes, it is. Um, I've done stuff like that, um, but it doesn't involve like the hypnotic element. You know, you usually like listen to an induction or uh, somebody sets the scene for you and then you let the uh, journey take place in your own head. You follow the narratives that can you're I presented just, with. Can I interject just with a poetic, maybe kind of like this is my yeah. own poetic, but like it's the difference between someone comely coming on to you and you getting infatuated and that's yeah. journeying versus yeah. you're, we're going out back and you're not going to like this. That's what happened to that guy, I think. I think that's a metaphor. That's all. Uh, please continue. I feel like it would have been um, more ethical if he had had uh i don't know how do i put this like if he had been a magician if he had understood the consequences of what he was agreeing to yeah. Yeah, then know that okay either. but yeah they didn't, yeah they didn't either they didn't either they and that's why when they were suggesting they yeah. do it again later i was like what are you talking about <laughs> don't do this again like, what no one should agree to this like uh especially not like connor I mean, you can see connor was like oh no i'm not doing this you know like it's it's that's something that i think you can do but you have to be ready for that and that guy was obviously like not prepared for what he was yeah, going to acid casualty acid 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 casualty yeah He's like a person. Yeah, exactly. He's like a person who takes a huge dose of psychedelics his friends give him and he doesn't, he's never done it before. That's he has exactly no idea what he's in. It. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not a thing to do to somebody. Like, people have got to be aware of what's going on. I agree. Um, uh, Alan, <laughs> I think my brain's about to keep working. Alan, it's your turn. Yeah, I agree that it was an unethical thing for them to do too. Uh, in their, uh, I guess, defense, I don't think they really contemplated the complete ramifications. They just thought it would be a cool thing to do and that would be an interesting experiment and uh, that they, uh, that, uh, it, you know, the results of that experiment has a lot to do with the personality of the person that they're hypnotizing like Ren was talking about. And so that guy, he struck me as not the most courageous or adventurous type. And then if you give them that kind of experience like that, yeah, chances are it's going to be a traumatic experience for him, a terrifying experience, which is the response he gives now when the subject comes up. And uh, yeah, it's a, is uh, speaking as someone who's done plenty of dumb things in the past to other people, you know, I get it, but uh, don't do it again. <laughs> Definitely don't do it again. Le- wisdom is not making the same mistake twice. You uh, know, I wanted to mention too, there was a weird little element with the guy. Did anyone else catch that he was from Mattoon? Say again? Did anyone else catch that that guy was from Mattoon? 
Mattoon, Illinois, or is it Indiana? I can't remember. It's where it's the same town that had the uh, you know the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. That's some Lauren so, Coleman stuff. Lauren yeah, it was like the, the guy who would pump weird gas into people's houses and make them sick. Um, this like sort of half cryptid, half weirdo proto serial killer kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. like different effects from the gas or something, I think, or something. Yeah, some people would get really nauseous. Some people would be lulled into sleep. It was almost like yeah. they'd get into chloroform or something. Oh, you know what? That um, X-Files episode about the, the uh, modern Prometheus with the mutated guy, right? They do the walking mm-hmm. in Memphis awesome thing at the yeah. end. Dude, was that like a mad gasser or what? Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been to Mattoon. It's a weird little town. It's got a weird vibe to it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe they knew the guy because they'd done something in Mattoon as part of their, you know, traveling museum or something like that. Maybe that's oh, how they knew him. Maybe. But I just thought that it was it was kind of a weird thing that he was like from this area that's famous for this uh sort of cryptid who um hypnotized people. Yeah, exactly. That is uh, some echoing there going on. Resonance, for sure. That's weird. Yeah, um, Mothman-ish. Yeah. Um, and also, like, uh, yeah, man. Like, that, uh, they really, he was not ready for that. But anyways, Ebra, what do you think about this? Well, I think it's it's kind of appropriate it was in there because it was very, it was kind of unethical in a very crowly way. Um, I at least you did there. Yeah, well, because in a lot of things, and I think a lot of the the aftermath of why, uh, and I I think they were a lot more innocent with it. I just think the New Yorkers didn't know what was going to happen with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we all get that. I just think it was a like putting fire bottle rockets and like, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to finish that. It's just cruelty is what it is. Yeah, and I don't think it was intentional, but with with you know Crowley, you kind of have cases where I I think a lot of people a lot of people that were initiates didn't know what they were getting into you know a little bit about i mean everyone's responsible for themselves ultimately that's you know if you take that extreme like also as fire in the crowded theater is it throwing your friend who's like hey you swim near the shark you know yeah it was just kind of it just seems like you know if you if you were if you're not filling in people on what your uh what your will is on that you know just uh you know show up in the desert with me let's see you know we're gonna do something i I, I just feel like i I really don't want to be like casting blame and this that the other thing i'm not i'm not i'm not but i think i alan's reactions were filmed during that and i thought that was very carl let's just talk for a second this would suck if we didn't mention that man has put so much he's gotten maybe some help but damn man Carl's good at directing. Like he's, a, I'm looking forward to seeing what. Like I mean, if he can go full on Lynch, he has my heart. I mean, you know, in that artistic way. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. Oh yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing, um, the whole Crowley thing, and this, yeah. Anyways, like I think that uh, ultimately, Alan Greenfield's filmed responses said a lot, and I think that is where I would at least put it for now. I, I, I'd let him. You know, I, I, I don't disagree with ultimately what happened. Poor guy. Look at him. Yeah. Well, anyways, but then again, you know, Tyler Strand represents another thing like going, but what if we do this? And I think Greg maybe seems like he's learned. He's like, I don't want other people to get, David's like, I don't want other people to get hurt. Oh yeah. No, no. I think, I think yeah. they got, I think they got, you know, they're, they're good hearts on it and, yes. and they're noticing yeah. they wouldn't have ever done that. I think if they knew yes. what was going to happen, Agreed. but it is yeah. good to know and, and a good cautionary tale, just to understand that if you're going to be doing something like that, like contact related things to, mm-hmm. even if it sounds silly, just let them know what they might be getting into. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of, 
I mean, I don't think like if I'm pretty sure I uh, was it Narby who wrote the Cosmic Serpent. Henry Narby. I think that's his name, Doctor. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of one of the first for I read it a long, long time ago. He was a uh, one of the first like that I know of like academics that kind of did the ayahuasca thing. It was like, oh yeah, this this stuff's legit. Everybody like it yeah. changed life. I went in here as a you know as, as a you know atheist you know. Uh, anthropologist or ethnobotanist whatever he was doing down there i think it was ethnobotany um and came out of you know other than mckenna of course um then the mckenna's but he went down there and and you know the shaman told him it's like hey look you don't eat for three days man it's gonna be rough um <laughs> you know you're gonna you're you know a big snake's gonna blow your mind um and gave him the full warning and he disregarded it on his you know he made his own choice on it and he still had a, a big experience from what i remember it's been a that's long an time. excellent point though because dmt is a liken to it like bill frizzle nothing in this book is true or you know but it's likened to a ufo and even the fairies have the mushroom there i wonder if you eat the mushroom in wonderland if you stay in fairyland forever maybe the rest of this is just one big mushroom trip just like that x-files episode field trip which is synchronistically the first x-files i watched after hellier and by the way if you want to have a really trippy time Watch that episode, and then the next four or five after that, after finishing Hellier, if you want to really blow your mind. Anyway, X-Files. I mean, it makes sense that it's in there. So anyways, um, so yeah, shout out to uh, Fox here, giving a shout out to Dana there. My, my Scully and I watch X-Files. We're on season seven now, apropos. And uh, Jesus, man. Um, this is right before we get... Well, anyways, I, I dog it, blah, blah, blah. So... Poor X-Files. So anyways, um, before we tarry too far from the point of Hellier, one of the main things that they started going out there after was like aliens and such. And I noticed when I looked at this the first time that what they've done is a lot of this is like self-actualizing and creating. Because I think it's pretty obvious that alien photo, you know, with the alien like peering around, like this is one of them. To me, I see a house with a satellite dish and some shadows from like a celestial object likely the moon or something or maybe a big street light or something but i looked really closely i'm like hey jj you see this i'm like you see it so pretty sure that's an one of those things that they say oh it could be this but then you can use that and now look what happened because that wasn't a question, by the way. That's why no one's responding. <laughs> you got to ask questions to get elicit answers. It's like a lock and a... <gasps> uh, the, there's the trickster element to this, you know, how that, yes. the you get this, you know, this spurious piece of evidence that's not what you think it is at first, but the next thing you know, you're down the rabbit hole anyway. And you're having these experiences anyway. And then when you look back at that photo to say your example and you see it for what it is, it doesn't make it any less fucking weird. Well, you know what I would love to do is like meet the Newkirks at the Newport Tower in Rhode Island on the equinox of their choosing because I'm down to go there at any equinox because I'm going to go there. Uh, that is a tower that is constructed or architected, rather, properly said, by old 007 John D. himself. 
So that's actually real. That's why it's on the Newport Tower, is on the Newport flag and everything like that. And, of course, that's Newport with the Newport mansions. And wouldn't you probably guess that, like, Springfield, you know, uh, sorry, Simpsons and everything like that, Kentucky, like, with the lines going up. Brent, I'm so glad you mentioned the lines. That's so huge. Um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, the lines went right through and, you know, went right through there or maybe Salem or something. But the Newport Tower is worth their time and all of ours, really, on the equinox. In short, it's called a horologium. So it's a tower that tells time. Look at John D, man gonna happen so, you know i'd love one other thing about the lines um well, a thing that i would really love nobody's ever written this as far as i know and if anybody any of you dear listeners uh, can recommend me a book on this uh, one thing i've quickly run into uh in trying to do my own investigation um you know into stuff going on in minnesota is that i have no idea how to do these type of investigations I have no idea if I should be going to libraries, talking to the police there. Like, I have no idea how to actually do this type of investigation. And that's something that uh, no one's ever really written down, as far as I know. We have people um, that are in the law enforcement community and military, so I'm sure we could figure that out. Yeah, because it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, maybe I need to speak to, like, legend trippers or something, but, um, you know, it's it's – there's no guidebook for, for doing this kind of thing. And I feel like there's things like the maps, uh, like drawing the lines of the maps. I would have never thought of that on my own. Um, you know, I feel like that's probably like a classic technique of this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it but it's just like one of the things that I never would have guessed about. We just never yeah. think to use it for ourselves because it's the forest for the trees. No, I, yeah. I really think that like, it really has to do with like some kind of like Navajo or some kind of like tonal like language. Like we're trying to break down the information and synthesize it at the mm -hmm. same time. It just, we're in Saturn's realm. So it's taking time, but that's, yeah. that's the thing. Though. But the important, one of the important things that Dana said in the show, um, what I really liked, uh, I think that she said was about how um, they got some piece of information that was like concrete. And she said like, that's, she got really excited about that because ultimately we can theorize about this stuff. Uh, you know, we can endlessly go down rabbit holes of uh, gematria and drawing lines on maps and things like that. But if we don't have like hard things to key these, uh, to link these things to, uh, I, I think we're just going to keep finding more and more rabbit holes. Did you uh, we just really say need hard just evidence. Say again, to the key these, what did you just say there? The word? If we can't key, these bigger ideas onto more tangible yes. uh, things that evidence, actual hard evidence. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get anywhere. Then what good is um, it? Right. It has to manifest yeah. in Malkuth or, or, or what? Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. It's I, all uh, good to stare at, stare at the moon and stare at Bina, <laughs> but but you all know, you're doing you, is fingering yourself. <laughs> Wait, what? Anyways. <laughs> I don't you can stare at the reflections all you want, but you need to turn around and look at the projector. Whoa. <laughs> Dude, Plato, Plato for the 21st century, though. Right. Um, speaking of caves, of course. A uh, whole other meaning to the uh, Platonic cave, I'm sure now. Uh, Stinkfist style, maybe even. But uh, <laughs> finger deeper than the borderline. Tell me that you love me and we belong together. Relax. And so anyways, Hellier. I think we're here to talk about that. Uh, we've done a really good job covering a lot of it, almost in like a synchromistic, oh, you can vault that word, but that fashion. Oh, Jay Kotze. Just going to drop that name in this one. People should watch his videos, at least one on Trump's penis. Jay Kotze. It's my podcast. I got to say that. Yay. Anyway, so the point is, is that 
I think that what we're going to find is that next season of Hellier going to feature a lot more ritual, a lot more, I think, action. And I think it's going to feature more big names in the community, too. And probably Ren paragliding with a couple of goblins chasing after him, spitting fire, because why the fuck not? It's going to be a, a car chase involving uh, mad cultists welding machetes. Um, dude, the fact that I just saw like that actually happened on the X-Files, basically. Um, <laughs> you better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I was making it hang gliders for a reason, my dude. You know, I'm still interested in them chasing down that militia angle. Because uh, one thing I was, I've, I've mentioned to some people and I was talking about on the break is um, when I was a kid, I heard the rumor that there were uh, militias you know, hunting down creatures underground. Um, I don't know if it was a Southern thing, but it's like not a thing that I'd heard the first time watching Hellier or even reading Secret Cipher. So, yeah. By the way, why do the Darrow things look like Lilo from Lilo and Stitch or Stitch from Lilo and Stitch? I just always wondered that. Hmm. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just like what's this? Are you talking about the? You're talking about the uh, like the Kelly Hopkinsville zombie yes, or yeah, zombie uh, goblin like the? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It was like a little girl. You know what I mean? Anyways, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean seriously, I'm just making this shit <laughs> up off the top of my head. I don't know. <laughs> Any hoot? So yeah, um, no, well, uh, point well made. I think that um, if we could do anything we should make it so that kind of virus doesn't survive in the human body genome. What? I mean, people, can you know, I, I think, <laughs> I think what people really, the virus thing reminds me of this. Cause we've talked, we brought up Grant Morrison a couple of times so far. Um, I don't know if anybody's read about uh, Grant Morrison's idea that uh, our world is sort of an embryonic form of some kind of, uh, more advanced life form, and that part of uh, the reenchantment of the world, as, as Gordon would say, is that organism coming to life or being birthed. Um, and for that to happen, we sort of all have to have our own magical awakening. Uh, so I, I think, if nothing else, you know, not everybody's cut out to do magic, it's not everybody's path, but if you're interested in this stuff, uh, you know, maybe go watch that uh, presentation that Grant Morrison gave at the Disinfo conference. You know, like the, every time I need uh, like a kick in the ass to yep. get back to I do that doing to magic me. or whatever, I go watch that video because yes. it's just <laughs> so real. There's something about yeah. that scream at the beginning. It's just that like, first okay. that primal scream he does. Well, yeah, it really wakes you up, fucker. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, I feel like we're. I feel like we've given a, a good amount of time into this and. Uh, I've tried to get as many people to speak as much as possible, but um, we're going to start to wind up with some closing remarks. And I really want to make sure that we hit everything. Did we hit everything from the ciphers? Did we, you know, get everything from the strangeness of like, it permeating into our realm? Uh, did we talk enough about how, you know, people can learn magical lessons of, of their own self-empowerment, like Ren just said? Like, we're going to go around and, uh, Zigort, why don't you start us off with any closing thoughts before, uh, before we really wrap this up? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I liked the, you know, the whole show, whole show has been really good. Um, you know, it's, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily expecting to have a, a personal 
synchronicity uh, like I did with it. it. It's almost like that was a, like my own, the balloon, <laughs> the balloon thing was like, like a, almost like it was its own personal cipher for me. Um, I, I looked, while we were talking earlier, I looked up uh, Strand, you know, uh, just because they they're always calling him just Strand. Oh, no, dude, you don't even know. Like, what am I holding in front of you, like, right now? I just noticed it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Strand notebook. Yeah, dude, Tyler Strand's the man. I, yeah. I, no, well, I looked up, looked up his, on the NAEQ, and the first the first thing that came back is Hell's Own. Certainly <laughs> 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 is, isn't it? Good for him. Which explains, might explain the, the fire under his feet. But yeah, um, he's not afraid to go back home. He's he's running straight into the tunnel. He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> himself would grin. So, um, thank yeah, keep going. Well, yeah, this the uh, the um, yeah the show. Uh, oh, man, I had a thought and it it, it vanished. Um, Tyler Strand. Yeah, yeah sure do the Strand bookmark. Yeah, I kind of wanted to. I guess I wanted to mention um, just how like it was. It was pretty great when the after they did the, the the ritual in the cave towards the end where where he was um, you know the one trying to pull him out of their their negative <laughs> their negativity almost um, you know where he's you know just saying that you know this is this is what we needed we needed this this we needed to go through this frustration and make it make it out to the other side um, and you know that was part of the initiation I don't necessarily agree with with that aspect of it but but um but yeah it was just it was i just wanted to didn't want to go on without without mentioning that that he that he really kind of pulled them out of a, a dark place probably but um but yeah the the whole show um yeah it was it was it was nice it was it was a good watch it reminded it you know reminded me of why i used to love to listen to coast to coast in the middle of the night when i was a kid oh straight up man that, of course, you know, connects back to the coast-to-coast, that tool used with the five-day wad, which is the Enochian or the channeling of the higher entities, which is yada, yada, yada. But that's a beautiful answer, and I want to say to your point that ultimately one of the – and actually, holy shit. Yeah, to your point. Whoa. Yeah, okay. To your <laughs> – do you speak stoner? Um, yeah, no, to your point, I just realized that that call is about that guy uh, that's Fiat De Awad, and it's the voice of God. It's about basically one of the lessons is to stand your ground and stay centered instead of scattering your energy, which is exactly what Tyler the Strand did. He said, guys, ultimately one of the most powerful magical things you could do is change your attitude. The entire perception. Watch the weather change. Yo, man, mad props to him for that. He really, he blew the soul right through the roof of the night. Thank you, Zigor. Um, also, Rin. Upon the eagle's back thou dost fly in magnificent form, looking speedy and delicious. Well, delightful at least. Tell us your thoughts. Um, final thoughts. Um, you should uh, buy the ticket and take the ride. Do magic. Fuck shit up. And um, make the world a weirder place. I agree, and so does Hank. Hank, what do you say to Red? <laughs> yeah, man. That was cool. Um, this is actually, uh, a Micah-ish crystal skull Hank. I got Hank the day I first saw Hellier. I got it at the Enchanted Fox and I got it for shoveling their steps. That was my payment. And then Hellier was what I watched that night. I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, I will call her V 
and V and I were talking and uh, she's like, holy crap, Micah Hanks, uh, North Carolina. She lives in North. Well, anyways, so all these weird things, but yeah, dude, um, good answer. Alan. You should really um, you should try to get on, um, what's his name? Dan Aykroyd sometime. Speaking of crystal skulls. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, I bet that. he would, I bet he would do your show. I hope people would do my. I, I think a lot of people are going to do my show. I think I think I think you will all be pleasantly surprised at the people who do my shows because there's four of them technically. Here, this uh, "Fear and Loathing" in Las Vegas reference you just made, brother Joe Deserman sent me this original copy of "Fear and Loathing." Just have it to hand. It's got this beautiful 1970s cover on it. The art feels so real from back then, almost as if it couldn't be Mandela affected. So, anyways. Moving forward, or backwards and around again, I don't know, Drake, whatever direction in time you want to go, take us there, brother. Uh, yeah, hell yeah, man. Uh, what can I say? Uh, I guess the, uh, big, my big takeaway is, is watching paranormal shows on TV through the 90s and such. One of my big, huge frustrations was no magic practitioners, no, no occult approach, no interest in an occult approach. It's all demons. It's all bad. And, uh, and when that man, stuff's it there, it's going to be the vampire slayer. Turn around like this. And well, it's just, it's just to your point. When you, when you do see real occultists in there, it's all like Buffy the vampire slayer. It's never a real thing. Right. It's never the two. I'm sorry. Just continue though. That's basically it, you know, and also that uh, I resisted getting into, you know, uh, analysis in this show and uh, season two left me no choice. Good job. You guys pulled me in. Ebra, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, Hellier, um, in in ways I could have ever predicted had... uh, really related elements in, in my life. And, it, and I'm sure that'll be stuff that uh, will be talked about more somewhere later. Um, but I guess I'm going to kind of back up her in a little bit and I'm going to say, you know, kind of his uh, practice magic and it doesn't even have to be that complicated. All, you know, listeners at home, if you want to do something, all I want you to do is just take a walk and just walk until you find something cool be a water tower or a nice tree or a, or a fountain. It could be anything, just whatever strikes you as cool. Like, like video game logic, right? How they, how, you know, maybe things, how your eye is guided and just go there. Just, just go there with the expectation of what you're doing is important and just see what you find and see what happens. That's a sick answer, dude. Wow. Clean sweep. All right. Uh, yeah. And again, uh, sorry, uh, Drake, I didn't mean to cut over your voice there. I, I feel bad about that. I was like literally holding my mouth shut. Sometimes like things trying to come out, like I don't even know But uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, I just want to return to you for a second, Drake. Uh, do you mind like returning to what you had said before? Cause I want to make sure that the listener gets to hear it. Cause I definitely drowned you out there. Just that, uh, yeah, the, uh, paranormal investigative shows that I grew up watching in the nineties, had no real, it it felt like they had no respect for not, you know, for the occult angle, the occult side of it. It was misunderstood, misrepresented, and not engaged with. And there was a real scientific materialistic approach to a lot of it with some 
spiritism held over from you know the, the 18th century 19th century and uh in some cases some people wouldn't even engage with that aspect so seeing and then a uh, paranormal investigation a team of these paranormal investigators uh engaging with the occult in a serious and respectful manner is very gratifying i am glad i returned to that point part of libra is fairness because probably libra's learned that libra sometimes can't stop libra from talking so libra's like i'm sorry come back hold on let's do this right like a vault seriously though all these words filling up in the air until there's nothing left to breathe. I think there was a famous rock band who sang that. Sometimes it feels like there's something about gematria and all the analysis of the language and all the codes and codes and codes and strange morphing creatures that interlope between the Fortean and the level of potentiality and probability and what we might call quanta and dark matter is just nothing more than the strange mist from which all creation is birthed from i feel like it would be irresponsible not to mention the work of one mark booth aka jonathan black who wrote the secret history of the world a lot of the human communication and the shamanistic way of thinking and or just being, I don't know. Just the language is not going to be efficacious enough. So let's just go with the just the gestalt just and say that we had a telepathic way of communicating with the pre-Tower of Babel moment. We had earlier periods. And if we can use, like, Miguel Connor talks about amnesis to remember. Hellier's a symptom, sure. It's kind of like a it's like reading The Secret Sun. You could get, like, Secret Sun's like the blog form of Hellier. Uh, some of Gordon's courses might be like the course form of Hellier. What we need is to make sure that we're all going after our highest and best aims. And I want to stress the compassion. None of us is the guru. None of us is the magic man. We're all in this together. And if we can cultivate the best within others by defeating the worst within ourselves and then just being, being practical with our magic in this world, in this universe... I think that Hellier and everything else that are after its similar aims, be it through the current of 93 or otherwise, I think the cumulative effect should be a permacultural equilibrium living space in this world where people have the freedom to pursue their wills in a natural environment that's in equal balance with the human's wills that is in perpetual balance. And anyway, so I don't know. Maybe that's my own flavor. Maybe that's the greater flavor. Or maybe there's somewhere in way between. But yeah, um, I want to end on uh, one final point for each of us. Guys, we're going to do something fun now. Because all of that was just awful. Every one of us is going to go through with a quick word off the top of your head now. Uh, Zigor, say a word off the top of your head. Mystery. Ren? Kraken. Alan? Silver. Ebra. Randall, and I don't know why. All right. <laughs> and um, what's the, I, I'm trying to get the word, Zenith. All right, there it is. All right, so uh, those five words, uh, when people want, you can look through those five words in the NAEQ and see what the hell pops out. So that's what I was doing there. I was just kind of like channeling random shit, you know, just automatic writing of sorts. All right, cool, guys. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Um, probably sure this is not the last time we hear of Hellier. 
And in fact, I would encourage everyone before we have everyone say their goodnights, I would encourage everyone who's listening, definitely realize that you're a part of this too. And we need you to do your part. Like I said, like deal with your own shit, but then also travel out there, go on the wild adventure and bring back your stories. Tell it in a way that's enjoyable, entertaining and educational. Uplift the human spirit. We are the upward spiral of the, the word perfection is not the right word, but that always getting more awesomer of our own genetic ultimate human story. We are a triumph. We are Olympians. Let's act like it. No matter what kind of shitty Watiko forces out there, try to go with us. Let's just be good. Be excellent to each other in that way. Zigor, closing thoughts or uh, goodbye words or whatever you want to call them. Uh, have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Um, all right, Ren. Do what thou wilt. Should be the whole of the law. Okay. Uh, love is the will. Uh, love. What is it? Love is the law. Love. Almost. Yeah. I love said is right. the law. Love under love. Is the law. Yeah. There you go. You got it. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah, 93, 93, 93. Uh, you would not believe that after three hours, I'm like, oh, it's 11-11 right now. Sweet. Oh, well, we just did that 11-11. <laughs> it's fucking fitting, isn't it? Oh, no, it's 11-17. I misread that. <laughs> it's, oh, now it's 11-18. Now it's even better. All right, guys. Well, anyways, 93 still stand. And uh, Okay, Alan. Uh, heed the call to adventure. You have talents and abilities that you may not even comprehend at the moment. I love you so much. I love you all, but okay. Um, and Ebra, I wait. Yes, Ebra. What Alan said. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, not that again. No, you can't want that again. That's, <laughs> That's what I was going to get to him before me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just you know, a very similar sentiment to that. And everybody just have a, you know, have a good night and just, you know, Keep a sense of humor about it. You can't be tricked if you're in on the joke. Amen. Okay. And uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add what he said. No, that would be unfair. I'm going to say that this is probably one of the coolest things that we've seen in our culture in a while. Just the overall thing. And while I may analyze people's behaviors and stuff like that, we're all trying to break down a lot of information and each of us has our talents. And I wanted to really draw attention to that. You're listening to five i'll include myself five really talented gentlemen i appreciate each of them and i do love them and i want you all to know that like whatever happens just keep trying it's never over you can always have the sun rise again all right and with that thank you for listening to the six of cups this has been episode 12 and we have had zigor ren Alan, Abra, and yours truly, Nathan Lee. So see y'all later. All right, that's it. That's it. The show's over. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I had a great time. Yeah. Sorry I was late, but I got, I got here. Nadia, I'm so glad you did. Glad you made it too, man. I'm going to just hit the recording button eventually uh, just to stop this, but thank God it recorded the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a bad time to find out that you didn't record it. Nah, I've been checking throughout, dude. I had that happen on the Whoa. Yeah. Uh thanks so much to everyone. Zigor and Red and Drake and Ebra and everyone who was involved. Thank you very much. What a great conversation. That was um all credit to anyone who's doing the real investigative work, of course. Uh may everyone get credit for what they do. I it's very important. But thank you, and good luck to uh, especially Ren for what he's doing out there, and Drake too, and Ebra and Zigor. All of these guys are 
really hardworking and talented and interesting individual. So remember, they're just at the just keep an eye out going forward. You know, some of these guys have really long, successful things already, but all four of them, I'll say five, including thy own good self, truly have very great things coming down the timeline as well, or off the timeline, or all through it. A uh, few extra things to notice. EO, EO, uh, EO is, of course, uh, Jupiter's lover. Uh, so Jupiter being Pan, that was really interesting. And, of course, Tin Can. You call someone on a Tin Can telephone. Got me thinking of Incubus's anti-gravity love song and everything like that. So, I mean, without really too much more to say, I appreciate you guys tuning in. I think I've caught pretty much everything. I did buy this book by... Uh, <laughs> David Allen Hulse called The Key of It All, and that was nuts that it came with a Magic the Gathering card from the Unglued series, and, you know, I originally started playing the white, uh, so that's it's a white deck, one white mana, uh, sex appeal, so I feel like there's all these things going on that are connecting, and I want to say that, uh, yeah, I claim that as my, as a generative key of it all within my own spectrum of radiance that i exude and that you have experienced that is part of me and um yeah i'll just quickly share with you in the past in the last few seconds and you can look this up um i do use ralph bloom for this so you can do that um so i did a three spread rune and you'll hear that it will be let's see here am i getting this right I believe it is partnership harvest and finally protection